Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Time for another team I'm absolutely fascinated to discuss. The Minnesota Timberwolves, one of three teams in the West, Oklahoma City. We already hit Denver, another that was outside of the top hierarchy, but made major additions, Minnesota in the form of the Jimmy Butler trade. And joining me to talk about it, first time guest, someone I've hung out with plenty during the NBA Finals, a great reporter out of Minnesota, John Krasinski of the AP. How are you, John? Hey, Nate. How's it going, man? Uh, r- really excited for this. Been a long time admirer of the podcast and everything, so let's uh, let's have some fun. Yeah, I think we were talking before we started recording about how this NBA season had gone a little bit longer transaction season in large part due to the Kyrie Irving news. And Kyrie, it was reported, I think, by Chris Haynes that the Wolves are one of four teams you might consider, the other being Miami, New York, and the Spurs. Seems like Minnesota has the most assets in theory of any of those teams. And and of course, Cleveland and Minnesota have a uh, trade history as well. Doesn't look like though that's something that has gotten any traction what have you heard about it those discussions if indeed there even were any yeah Nate well when when it first came out that the the news kind of broke that Kyrie was looking to get out of Cleveland and that the Timberwolves were on the list of places that he would prefer to go even though he doesn't have a no trade and he can't really steer himself any particular direction I think that the reaction internally within the organization and really in this community at large was like, holy cow, uh, the, the Timberwolves are not a team that is used to being on the short list of destinations for a multiple-time All-Star Olympian uh, championship-level player, it, you know, just entering his prime. I mean, this has long been a market that is has been shunned by free agents, both for weather purposes, but also really because they haven't been to the playoffs since 2004. And so they've really, really struggled to get any kind of footing from a from a competitive standpoint. And so uh, when so the the news comes out and and there's just an immediate uh, reaction of wow, this what a you know what a kind of feather in the cap and what a what a what a sign of how far this franchise has come in the last couple of years. Why do you think that is? Do you think is it Tibbs? Is it Carl Towns? Is is it Wiggins? I kind of feel like it. It's Tibbs, but since you're you're on the ground there, like what is it that I mean? It's, it's, they still haven't made the playoffs. Like they still were right. just as bad as ever a year ago. Why have they uh, suddenly gotten a little bit more 
credibility here than they had. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. And I think for Kyrie specifically, certainly the Jimmy Butler addition is one of the big reasons because uh, Butler and Kyrie are very close. They they grew close while playing for Team USA. Uh, Butler had had some conversations with Kyrie about coming to Chicago before he was traded to Minnesota. And so there, there definitely, I think, is that part of it that there is an immediate connection between those two players, which intrigues Kyrie. Then you look at the young talent that that they do have. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is is just a phenomenal uh, offensive talent right now with the tools, I think, to be a good defensive player uh, once he gets surrounded by more veteran help that way. Andrew Wiggins is a dynamic scorer. Uh, they have Gorgie Jang. They have, so they have this kind of uh, core of young talent on the rise. And then you add Jimmy Butler, you add Taj Gibson, you add Jeff Teague, you add veteran guys that make the, the kind of the group more than just a, a team that's looking to win three or four years from now. It's a team that definitely has switched into more of a win now mode. And so you have those two elements in there. And I do think, look, Tibbs, for all of the struggles that they that he had from a defensive standpoint and getting this team to buy in last year, he still does have credibility as a as a great X's and O's coach. Uh, around the league. He has worked with Kyrie on Team USA, so there's a familiarity there. And and finally, I think that for years, this organization had a reputation for penny-pinching and for taking shortcuts and, you know, whether it's in facilities or whether it's in kind of catering to the players and, and doing everything that they need to do in this modern NBA to kind of woo a, a, a team into or a player in, into considering a team that is in a a, a, a a community that is buried under ice and snow for three or four months out of the year. And so what we've seen in the last couple of years, they've opened a brand new practice facility right across the street from Target Center in downtown Minneapolis, $25 million. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, they have, uh, they've, they're, they're putting like $130 million into renovating the, the arena now, and that's going to open this, uh, this fall. And it's not a brand new arena, but they're certainly stepping up into uh, bringing it into the modern uh, sent into the modern time frame with with kind of the improvements that they're doing to the locker room, to the suites, to the the sound system and the scoreboard and all of those things that are bells and whistles that players pay attention to. And so I think you put all of those Why things together. Why is that happening now? Well, they, Why is that happening now as opposed to before? Is that like Tibbs pushing that or is it Glenn Taylor suddenly feels like he has more money? Like, what, what yeah, is I think the it's, issue? Well, it's, it's Glenn Taylor that has decided to invest more of his money into the franchise because number one he's getting older and he has kind of flirted with selling the team a couple of times over the last five years or so and never has really been able to pull the trigger but he he basically has decided I want to see this team reach another level before I sell the team or before I get too old to enjoy it and so he has really decided to open his wallet and his his checkbook uh, more than he had in the past and it started really when Flip Saunders came back a couple of years ago 
and Glenn and Flip were very close. And so Flip really kind of convinced Glenn to start to kind of part with his money a little bit more, to to, to really reinvest in, in the franchise in, in a way that he hadn't in order to bring it up to a level that is more commensurate with the rest of the league. And then obviously Flip, you know, tragically passes away. And so then Glenn spends, breaks the bank to bring in Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layton, you know, spending almost $10 million a year between the two of them. And so, again, those guys now hold considerable sway in trying to convince him to spend money on free agents, to spend money on uh, even nicer hotels, on, you know, going to training camp in San Diego this year. Uh, So they're going away for camp and and all of these things that, that they think will send a message to the players on the roster and then to the players around the league that, hey, look, uh, we're, we're not pe- pinching pennies anymore. We are going to cater to you guys, and this is a spot that you should consider. So, yeah, th- that's a good background there, that not all of which I was aware of it. And I think the next thing I wanted to ask you is, clearly, if they're going to trade for Kyrie, Andrew Wiggins would have to be in the deal. I and mean, Butler is there because mm-hmm. he's probably better than Kyrie anyway. Uh, and that's the whole reason, as you said, that Kyrie wants to come. Uh, Carl Towns is too good to trade for Kyrie. So it really would have to be Wiggins. They gave up a lot of their assets of course in that butler trade which was a great trade of course but it doesn't seem like they're even remotely entertaining that idea so i mean is that in fact the case that they're not entertaining it and what do you think of that do you think they should entertain it yeah well i think it's a really difficult uh one to kind of make a decision on nate to be honest i mean you look at it and um when i look at it from the outside in i look at Kyrie as a player who is no question well here let's first answer the question right away right off the top they did absolutely consider bringing Kyrie in and trying to make a move for him but ultimately what they have decided is that they don't want to part with Andrew Wiggins to make that happen now obviously if you make that decision no Wiggins you're not going to get Kyrie uh, unless you go into the season and something just is absolutely falling apart in Cleveland and they panic and you can get him for Teague and Gorgie Jang and 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 a draft pick and and flotsam but so there's there's no really indication that um that they're going to be able to land Kyrie Irving because they've made the decision they're going to extend Andrew Wiggins to a five-year 148 million dollar deal eventually here and that will and so they're throwing their chips behind him rather than using him to get Kyrie I think if they offered Andrew Wiggins I think their their package would probably go right to the top of the heap in terms of what Cleveland is being offered right now or near the top of the heap uh, in terms of assets. So, uh, but yeah, so getting back to it, I think it's a tough decision because uh, Kyrie is dynamic offensively, incredible player that way. Uh, but I think you have to have concerns about the the chemistry issues, the mental makeup, and obviously the defense as well. I mean, if a guy like this, who is getting a ton of shots already and playing with the best player in the world, decides I don't want to play with him and I don't want to go to the finals every year, what does what does that mean about what he brings to the table from from the mental and the chemistry side of things uh to that, that 
that could potentially throw some some dynamite into the middle of a, of a locker room. And, and, and so I look at it that way and I thought, yeah, I, you know, I'd think about it. But then on the other end, you're, you're kind of committing to Andrew Wiggins, who has flashed as a scorer in this league so far and has had his great some great moments just putting the ball in the basket, but in, in many other parts of his game has yet to really show that he is worth a max extension. And so you you you're kind of choosing between two players who you don't. I, I think there's uncertainty in both situations, and I think that ultimately what the Wolves are deciding is if they can get Wiggins for five years of certainty and then continue to mold him with Jimmy Butler. Uh, and hope that that helps to light a fire defensively and kind of unlocks some some other improvement for him uh, on the offensive side of the ball that they they like that long-term security of it more than they do having Kyrie essentially for two years and then that really opening the window that you got to go now and you really gotta you have to make a make a real hard push in an unbelievably difficult western conference to to make that happen and and so uh I I will be surprised I was surprised Surprise though, Nate, that the mo- I pulled kind of executives and scouts and coaches around the league to see, hey, would you do this? Would you do a Wiggins package for Kyrie? And almost universally, it was yes, they would do it. That they mm. think that Kyrie is that good, and that surprised me a little bit, just given all of the other things that you have to deal with with Kyrie Irving. But uh, but that's kind of what I found um, as I was kind of taking the temperature of the water. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a difficult decision as well. I, it does seem like a, in the media that has not necessarily been the case. It's interesting that you said that. I haven't talked to as many people about that specific question as you have. I think I probably would do it too. Maybe I would see if all right, I could get a little something else from Cleveland as well, uh, some kind of future asset for giving up Wiggins. But I share the same concerns about Wiggins. I mean, it's, it's funny in that there are two guys who you might say are both pretty overrated, but we've also seen Kyrie be yeah. an unstoppable scorer efficient in the playoffs, which we have not seen, of course, from Wiggins. Kyrie three years older than than him uh Wiggins also I mean led the league in minutes last year if I'm not mistaken and never ever gets hurt so that's something too Kyrie with a an an injury history but I I think that Kyrie you know he's worth his contract right now and Wiggins may not be you know I I mean they they feel like they have to give him this five-year max deal I don't know that that necessarily would be my approach but his cap hold is large enough next summer and they're not gonna have space anyway next summer that it doesn't really make much difference whether they extend him or not uh so and if they can at least avoid get, getting a player option on that contract that it could be good but yeah I mean I think if I had to guess of whether Wiggins will be worth that contract or not I would say probably not now of course there is the pie in the sky potentially he could get better defensively he could get more efficient could get a bit to be a better passer but now you also have Jimmy Butler and Butler is basically the exact same player as Andrew Wiggins except way better than him in nearly every possible area maybe spot up shooting is the only thing that Wiggins you could say has been better than Butler at recently and I really really hate the fit between those two guys they have no shooting on the roster really and so that's that's kind of an issue and they're really even with just Wiggins and Towns on max deals there's really no way that they're going to have cap space now until those guys are off the team essentially so you're you're really it's not where you're like okay these guys are cheaper so you know we can hold on to them and build around them they really don't have any tools to build around these guys other than just the draft and mid-level so this idea that oh you're committing to an older guy 
by now if you don't think that Towns and Wiggins can basically like you know win playoff series and get to conference finals by themselves which I don't think that they can because I don't think that Wiggins is that good I would absolutely make that move and then you know if Butler and Kyrie were to leave then you can still have the option of rebuilding around Towns with some cap space um so yeah I think you know the more I think about it I would do it it's not at all an easy decision especially with the injury concerns I mean that's probably the biggest thing that people don't talk about with Kyrie and or with Wiggins that he just never gets hurt but yeah I I think I would do it so what do you think if you had to make a call if if they offered straight up or maybe maybe the other thing would be too you could just if you could get off of Jang's salary at the same time like Mm -hmm. that that could be enough to even that out because I think I don't really like that salary for Minnesota well and that's the interesting thing here Nate is that internally I, I I think that Tibbs really likes Andrew Wiggins as a potential guy I think he does see a future Jimmy Butler in Wiggins now whether you're you know that's right or wrong we can debate and um and and the same with Gorgie like despite I I agree that despite you have concerns about the contract and things for whatever reason I I I think that Tibbs likes to have Gorgie as this kind of uh this big man that can either play next to Towns or um off the bench even though you would say that there's less of a role or a place in this new NBA for him going forward and so I I don't get any indication that they're in any hurry to move either one of those guys because of that but yeah ultimately I I was leery of it just because I I just I'm I'm worried about what exactly you get with Kyrie but the guy kind of who funny enough swung it for me was Sam Mitchell who I mean I disagree with a lot of the things that he did as a coach and I don't I think that you know we butted heads quite often but one thing I know is that he was a big Andrew Wiggins guy like he just he thinks that Andrew Wiggins can eventually be this get his own shot whenever he wants kind of unstoppable crunch time force who can also play defense and so and I asked him point blank would you do it and he said yes I would because then you have an elite point guard an elite wing player in Butler and an elite uh, front court player in Towns and that's a tough three-man uh kind of core to deal with and and so I think ultimately I probably would do that deal as well even though I would have to swallow hard and I would I would feel a little queasy about bringing a guy in like Kyrie who is who is rocking the boat while having basically the world in the palm of his hands in Cleveland yeah it's definitely a concern and Wiggins for all you want to complain about him he's been a a great kid during his time in in Minnesota doesn't do any stuff like that at all that yeah that's the other thing here uh Nate is that um you look at right now the construction that they have of Butler Towns Wiggins I think Towns and Wiggins are or excuse me Towns and Butler are both want to be the face of the franchise they both are kind of the alpha guys that they like the interviews they like the endorsements they like um, all the attention that comes with it and then they they love the competitiveness of it and being the man in in these games Wiggins is so laid back and is so would be nothing would make him happier than if he were able to be kind of in this shadow of of Towns and Butler in terms of not having to do any interviews, of not uh, being kind of out front with the organization. Now, he absolutely wants to be an all-star and wants to be wants to have that kind of credibility and wants to win games and, and wants to be considered a great player. 
but the all, all the other things that come with being a star in this league, he has no interest in. And so that that you know weighs I think heavily in in the evaluation process as well. Is can can you make three guys work together and and handle it the right way? And I think there's more potential for problems with Kyrie than there is with Andrew that way. Yeah. Well, and, and it's just as good of a fit as he may be personality wise. It's just I think he's a horrible fit with these other guys uh, on the floor. And so let's take a quick break here and, and then we'll come back and actually talk about the prospects for this team which we is this, the essential reason for this podcast but i wanted to get your thoughts on all that stuff so we'll be back in one second here just last week i went ahead and surprised my girlfriend with some flowers from proflowers.com using that familiar cap space code of course which will get you 20 percent off we got rainbow roses or you can get any other bouquet of 29 or more but the rainbow roses looked great still sitting on the shelf she usually goes and stays with her parents on wednesdays because she works uh, down in the south bay and came back on thursday surprised her she was incredibly excited there's really i don't really understand why it is that women seem to like flowers so much but they always do and these flowers were so quick and easy i also got some flowers for my girlfriend's mom for mother's day as well and now you can do the same send pro flowers colorful rainbow roses or any other bouquet of $29 or more, and you get 20% off this collection. Use my code CAPSPACE, which is easy to remember, of course. We talk about it all the time in the program. It's even on the back of our shirts now, which are available at NateDuncanMBA.com. Remember that code CAPSPACE at checkout. ProFlowers.com, code CAPSPACE. Don't wait to make someone's day. Okay, so let's start here with where these guys were at. 31 and 51 a year ago, a massive disappointment. I had predicted them for 40 wins. I think I was actually lower on them than many of our media cohorts. The thought was Tom Thibodeau is going to fix this defense, and he wasn't able to. Why was that? Yeah, for, for you know, I don't know that anybody really totally can put a finger on exactly exactly why it didn't click because uh you did look at it and I I thought they were 38 to 40 wins when when I started last season and prognosticating it and uh, it, but you could see, like from start to finish, there is no disputing that the the way that Tom Thibodeau was delivering his message and the teaching that he was giving them and the emphasis on the importance on that side of the on playing defense just never really sunk in. And I think part of it was, look, the, these guys were all really young, except for Rubio, who was kind of an established veteran. But you had Levine, you had Towns, you had Wiggins taking up the 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 bulk of the minutes you had Bielitsa, Jang, you know these guys are more role players. Uh, you had Shabazz Muhammad, those those types of players who are all young, didn't really know the league, making a lot of mistakes, and had no real veterans around them to prop them up. When you know you look at a, a couple of years ago when Garnett played sparingly. And when they had Tayshawn Prince on the floor, uh, you, you dealt with a lot of liabilities. But one thing that that team did was defend pretty well. Uh, and, and you had Towns and Wiggins in that group because you just had guys that could direct traffic and be the quarterbacks and bark out orders and tell tell the young guys what to do. Well, last year, there wasn't any of that on the floor. It was only just Tibbs yelling at the guys. And that didn't work. And so what you saw going into this offseason was 
a complete pivot for Tibbs in terms of going away from, we're going to develop this core of Levine, Wiggins, Towns, Muhammad, maybe even Rubio, if you want to throw him in there, Tyus Jones, a few of these others. And hopefully in three or four years, we're going to be developed more. These guys are going to be bigger, stronger, have a better understanding of the league and how to play defense. And then we'll make our move. He went out and he got his guys, Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, uh, veteran, hard-nosed, defensive players that can come in and can interpret the uh, the messages that he gives and that Tibbs gives in the film room. And when either players are, whether it's tuning him out or not getting it or tired of getting yelled at or whatever it is, um, then Butler and, and Gibson can pull him aside and say, hey, here's what he means. Let's just keep focused on this part of it. And so that's why I think they parted with Levine and Dunn to get Butler. That's why they gave Taj Gibson two years, 28 million for despite you know him being advanced in age a little bit. They they got and they, they swapped Rubio for Teague. They they brought in Jamal Crawford who has defensive liabilities but at least is a veteran and and will play a lot of minutes. And last year all their veterans Cole Aldrich, Jordan Hill, uh, Brandon Rush they hardly ever played or only played at absolute necessity. And so uh, I, I think Tibbs would say that you know that hey these guys were just too young we needed more veterans around them. Um, but yeah, there, there was something else in the delivery of the message that just, it just never got through. And so I think they finished uh, 26th or 27th in defensive rating. And I think, which is maybe one spot higher than they did under Sam Mitchell. They won two more games than they did under Sam Mitchell. And there were a lot of alarm bells going off at the end of last season when they, I think they finished one and seven to finish the year. So it was, it was not a good feeling as they, as they left yeah. uh, in April. And they were for, trying, for the by the way. They, they were, were trying absolutely the trying. Too. Yeah, yeah. Towns and Wiggins were playing tons of minutes. Rubio was playing a ton of minutes. Uh, they, this wasn't a case of them bailing out and and not you know and, and just looking forward. They were they were playing hard and it just was not. They weren't executing. And so there were a lot of people that were really concerned after that, and rightfully so. Yeah, well, actually, if they don't go one and seven down the end, who, maybe that Butler deal never happens. You know, if they, they don't have the number seven pick, if they have the number ten pick or the number eleven pick, you know, and Chicago can't draft uh, Larry Markinen, who they apparently really liked, uh, maybe the trade <laughs> never happens. That's you know, it, we always kind of forget about these things. What by the the end of the next year but at least i mean to their credit at least they were trying uh so yeah i think the defense to me we talked about this plenty on this show before but to reiterate it just seemed like wiggins and towns to me were the biggest issues you know and levine as well but before he went down with the injury but those guys just they're not in a stance they're not just executing the basic fundamentals the effort level is not high enough they're also being played more minutes than basically anyone in the league which right. may not help there but uh, so it it did seem that you know Tom Thibodeau is uh, he knows what you're supposed to be doing defensively maybe more than anybody in NBA history and he drills it more than just about anybody and yet you're right it just didn't get through and so maybe the thought is now with more veterans and I think it's also Towns's struggles defensively in particular have really had a huge effect it would seem like on the way this team is built my my thought always is holy crap you got the center who can shoot threes who can blow by any center off the dribble who gets up on him 
you put a smaller guy on him he'll just kill him in the post what do we put around this guy we're gonna put shooting around him uh he's mm-hmm. he's quick so he can switch a little bit defensively as well so we'll have a, a switchable lineup and we're just gonna be absolutely unstoppable and tom thibodeau thinks well and there's nothing to be said for this too like I, i've been critical of this but i understand where he's coming from at least that carl towns can't handle it defensively as the only big he's basically a power forward we're gonna hide him he's not a, a great help defender we gotta have jang out there or taj gibson or, or whoever else otherwise we're never gonna stop anybody yeah that's exactly right and 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 i think that's that was kind of what brought a lot of gorgie's value in his eyes to um to the table because i think gorgie can defend the pick and roll a, a lot better than than carl could right now and yeah and see I, I i that's where T- tibbs and i differ because i think mm-hmm. like i if you're gonna be like all right we're gonna get another big in here who's really awesome mm-hmm. defensively and like we'll just play towns at power forward we'll just be bigger than everyone else we'll kill him i think jang is like pretty mediocre in just about all areas other than just making an open mid-ranger but yeah i, I know that tibbs is really likes him going back to when he was in chicago and and they drafted tony snell over him uh actually i'd probably rather have tony snell than yeah i was gonna say tony right snell's now, pretty good player right now but yeah yeah yeah, uh, but yeah although yeah. certainly in chicago tibbs was justified in saying he would have rather had jang i suppose right and and i and i but i agree with you nate in terms of like i i think the ideal uh fit next to towns is another stretch four who can maybe cover some ground and 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 block a shot every once in a while and and do things like that and 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 they need to space the floor i mean uh, you know, this is a team last year that was dead last in three pointers made and attempted, but they they were twentieth in percentage. You know, they were like uh, they shot thirty four point nine percent, which is just a tick below league league average. I mean, and you look at you know teams like Boston shot you know thirty five point nine percent, but they were they were uh, you know third in attempts, and and so it, yeah. there just seemed to be like when you have Towns and Jang together, it, it necessarily puts a ceiling on what you can do offensively that's a little lower than I think what a lot of teams are doing in this league now. And frankly, I don't think that Taj Gibson does a whole lot to help offensively at all. But No, he's um, probably worse than Jang, frankly. Right. But you do look at it, they they were 10th in the league in, in offensive efficiency yeah. because they got to the line a lot, because uh, they were a great offensive rebounding team. and And so so I think what Tibbs was looking at is that hey, scoring is not the issue for us right now. We just gotta we gotta defend better. That's why I'm gonna probably overpay Taj Gibson to get here because he knows my system and I can kind of handcuff him to Towns and he can show him around and hopefully you see because I, I will say that in that year that Towns spent with KG, I thought I saw at least a little more instinct, a little more defensive yeah. aggressiveness a little more uh there there than i did last year and yeah, i thought he was gonna be really good defensively yeah. after like you know the first 20 games of his rookie year i was mm-hmm. like very impressed and it's been a frustration for me certainly that he hasn't been able to build on that yeah and so i think yeah we'll see what happens with taj there next to him if that helps things and with butler on the wing kind of you taking away some of the penetration and and you know that it that all gets to again the, the third part of this is now you know, Wiggins
Wiggins is not a number two uh, on a team that's contending in the Western Conference for the Western Conference Finals. But if you bump him down to a number three, and if he's not guarding Kawhi Leonard every night, is he still getting roasted like he did so often last year? Maybe not. I don't know. It, the, you know and if they're playing with something to play for, if they're playing competitive games and looking at the standings and saying, this really matters, maybe that lights a fire as well and is an uptick. But that all remains to be seen. That you know, we'll see if the if that kind of difference in just their standing and their lot in life in the Western Conference kind of gets these guys to buckle in a little bit more as well. You'd like to see them do it beforehand and not need that motivation, but maybe that's going to be part of it as well. One of the things I'm most interested to see early on in this season and how it evolves over time is what is the workload? What is the mm. distribution of offensive responsibilities going to be between Wiggins and Butler? As I said, Butler, far superior passer to Wiggins, much more efficient, probably even a better shooter. Butler just you know wasn't asked to spot up at all in Chicago. Um, better in the post just really better in all areas but on the other hand Butler also is going to have to guard the best wing player on the opposing team and so you want to take a little bit of a load off for Butler and actually the one thing that Wiggins is, does more than Butler is he has a higher usage rate and you know he still although he shot better on three-pointers and took more last year still takes a ton of long twos so how many and then maybe they're going to have to take a lot of long twos because there's 37 guys standing around the basket every time on this team too. and then also like what about Jeff Teague like he's a, a guy who likes to handle the ball as well so how is all this going to work out where they don't they have a ton of guys who are creators and you can put Towns in this category too I mean he's he's better than any of these guys in terms of efficiency and as an offensive player 62 percent true shooting and he averaged 26 points a game last year so how is all that going to get uh worked out and my fear is that it's not going to be done in the most efficient manner that Wiggins and Teague are going to be shooting too much and Butler and Towns won't be shooting enough or that Butler and Towns will have too many guys in their way to be as good as they could be. yeah that I I can't wait to see how this thing comes together because you're right there's I mean there's definite redundancy between Butler and Wiggins and so I, I know I mean I've been talking to people around Wiggins this summer and he has been approaching this summer in his workouts and things kind of knowing that look they have no shooting right now they they lost Zach Levine who was really their only real three-point shooter I mean Towns Towns over the last 40 games last year shot I think 43 percent from three so but he doesn't do it at a high volume so um yeah and you don't want him standing right. out there either I mean like if you want to run on a pick and pop yes. for him like okay that that's fine but like he needs to be involved yeah. in, in the primary action like he can't just be spotting up in the right corner. exactly and so maybe I mean Wiggins took it you know he he jumped from 30 percent to 35.6 percent last year so that's a nice it's a nice jump for him but I think he's approaching coming into the season knowing he's really got to get up to that 37 38 percent at a higher volume because he's going to get those shots I mean there is going to be so much attention paid to Towns and Butler that if he just hangs out on the weak side it will be an adjustment for him because I can't imagine he's going to be quite as involved at the start of the actions on the offense as he as he was uh, last year and really in the first three years of his career but I think he's going to get better looks and more open looks than he has ever before so uh, he's going to have to make that adjustment for this to work and Teague they're going to need to get what Tibbs wants from a point guard out of Teague. I mean, last year when they started 6-18 and and when Rubio was struggling, 
a big part of that was the the offense was always initiated by Wiggins and Rubio just had to stand in a corner and and take the open shots that come well that's obviously not his game and 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 really um the, the, they didn't kind of change until midway through the year or so and and especially after Levine went out and then Rubio became much more of an initiator for their them offensively and his last 35 games he shot 37% from 3 41 and a half from from field uh, from the field he had 15 points a game 10 10.3 assists a game and so I mean he wasn't lighting the world on fire he wasn't Steph Curry but he was initiating things a lot more he was shooting more confidently and he was knocking down shots at a much more reliable rate than he had you know at any time in his career really and but really what Tibbs wants is a guy is a point guard that he can kind of stick in the corner or stick on the wing and just hit those open threes and then also finish at the rim Rubio was never a very good finisher at the rim either and so you know that's sure. those are gonna ha- that they're gonna need that from Teague. He's for for all the defensive def- deficiencies he's gonna provide in comparison to Rubio. They need Teague to just knock down those shots and and keep a defense honest. And so there are a lot of these moving parts. And l- let's also not forget Nate. They still have three open spots on the roster. So you, there's no question that Wiggins and Butler and Cat and you know Teague probably as well are all gonna play 35, 36, 38 minutes. It's a night, and, and and you know that that's yeah. I was hoping that they would stagger. I was hoping they you'd say, all right, well Wiggins mm-hmm. and Butler, you can stagger them, but neither of them have anybody right. backing them up. <laughs> and and the one guy that they have is Crawford, who's another guy who really needs the ball in his hands. Who's not been as successful as a spot up shooter. You know, he can get his shot off, but he's not just like a straight up knockdown guy. Like can't leave this dude open for a second type of player. So yeah, it, it is really going to be interesting to see how that all works out, especially because they just have no depth at all in the way i mean they couldn't even play small even if they wanted to at this point it seems like um so who do you think the crunch time lineup ends up being for this team? I, mean, I think, you know, Wiggins, Butler, Towns, Teague, and then probably Gibson, probably, I guess? yeah, for defense, but I, I still won't rule out eventually if Bielitsa comes back from his foot injury and stuff. Uh, it, he, before he got injured. How bad is it, that it injury, was, by the way? It wasn't as bad as initially thought. So he's working out now and, and sh- should be ready for training oh, camp. So that's what everyone believes at least and so uh so things are are better than than initially thought on that which is encouraging but he was he had struggled under Tibbs last year for a lot but really at the last probably 12 to 15 games before he got hurt he was starting to be the the kind of uh Miritich like uh when when Miritich was actually playing well you know three-point shooter could rebound and play make and actually could play a little bit of defense as well and so I wouldn't be surprised if he got sprinkled in if he gets all the way back and and is healthy enough and and plays with the confidence that he did just before he got hurt. Now, if he kind of struggles again, is inconsistent, yeah, then I think he, Tibbs will go to his guys, to Taj, to because he'll say that, hey, we got plenty of offensive firepower with Wiggins, Butler, Cat, and Teague, so let's put another defender in there and, and try and stop people as well. And I think that'll be that'll be it early, and then maybe you might see Bielitsa get sprinkled in eventually if he gets back to where he was, which still is a big if. Yeah, and Bielitsa even, as a stretch four, he's not even really like a stretch 
much for. You know, he, in Europe, he was a guy who had the ball in his hands as well. You know, he's another one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And the Pacers have kind of done this for a long time where it's like, all right, let's get as many guys who average high points per game together. Now, their problem was they got guys like Monte Ellis and Teague to a lesser extent, right. who I still think is an okay player. And Teague is actually a decent spot-up guy, and maybe he can expand that part of his game as time goes on but you know Bielitz even is not really you know he's like a 35 percent three-point shooter likes to drive in likes to pass have the ball in his hands he's not like really a pure spot-up guy yeah I mean I they're probably going to start Jang still right you would think and they'll just bring Gibson off the bench since Tibbs is comfortable with that role for Gibson from the Chicago days I think so I think so early in eight especially because Jang has kind of the equity here and has been here for a while now um but I, I really would not be surprised if eventually they get to a point where Gibson is starting. Um, I, I, I think that internally it has been viewed that on a playoff team that is trying to win series and not just get there, that Jeng is at you know maybe your first big off the bench. And uh, now you, you say, okay, uh, yes, if if Taj Gibson isn't your starter, but uh, but I do think that. Um, like right now, they they might start with Gorgie there, but then I think with that second unit, which right now is like maybe Tyus Jones, Jamal Crawford, Bielitsa, Gorgie Jang, and somebody else that they have to sign, um, you, you would say that you might need a little more offense there. And so maybe you, you put Gorgie in with that group, and then you put Taj in defensively with the starters and, and, try, and, and try and go about it that way. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. Yeah, I think it would be better starting Gibson, although not that this has ever been a huge concern for Tibbs, but how many minutes you want to play him at age 32. And the other thing that I'm guessing we'll probably see is, you know, Tibbs would bring Gibson in, especially in his last year and uh, last couple of years in Chicago, you bring him in with six minutes left in the first quarter, and then he just plays the entire rest of the half, which is really, you know, that's probably right. not something you should be doing 18 straight minutes right. for a, a guy of that age. Um, I, what do you see as the big strengths of this team? Yeah, well, well, I mean, I, I think it's it's for the, I mean the strengths are offensively offensive rebounding and and pounding the glass like they do second chance points. Uh, it, it, this is a team that that really just attacks that and creates uh, and creates free throw attempts that way and and creates second chances. They were third in offensive rebounding percentage last year, uh, and so they they really were were hell bent on creating second opportunities because I think they knew that a lot of times they would probably miss their first shot. If it was from the perimeter or or something like that, and so then I mean it, I, I really you know you get back to it's Towns and Butler. I mean those are those are the strengths. I mean you're talking about two guys who you know, Butler is you know top ten or twelve guy in the league. I think Towns eventually will 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 get there because he is just yeah. offensively he, he, offensively you know, he's a, certainly he's probably a top ten player in the league just offensively mm-hmm. alone. Right. So yeah. So you so you have those guys those guys together. That's a pretty pretty stout two-headed monster offensively and then with Wiggins as a number three you know I, I can roll with that and I, I think that that's you know that's that's intriguing even though he does bring some of the the same skill sets as as uh as Butler does but yeah I think strength wise it's 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 going to be tenacity it's going to be pounding the glass and it's going to be kind of attacking with with Butler and Towns uh and 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 using Butler's playmaking ability you know a Butler Towns pick and roll I think would be that you know, good luck trying to stop that thing. 
yeah i mean i think uh, offensively mismatch basketball as well i think mm-hmm. the getting into the post is something we're gonna see a ton of if you switch that butler towns pick and roll or wiggins now is gonna be guarded i mean he had a lot of success even his rookie years i'm sure you recall when he was playing with muhammad where they'd put the bigger guy on muhammad and then wiggins could get right. down in the post and kill that guy towns is unstoppable in the post against virtually anyone butler same thing so if you don't if you don't have three real good defenders at those positions who are strong you're just going to get beat up now of course the lack of shooting could mute that but i think yeah the offensive rebounding is a huge one and then you know i'm not sure what else you could look at as like a huge strength for this team i mean the big question to me is just like can the defense be a strength you know is does taj now if you were bringing in taj gibson from four years ago and playing him 35 minutes a game i'd say yeah there you go you're good now on defense him butler you get enough from towns and wiggins teague is kind of you know maybe slightly below average but you could get enough from those guys i don't know that this version of taj gibson has quite the mobility and the explosion at the rim to be that great defensive power forward and with that being the case then does he take away more on offense potentially you know i don't know the answer to that question but it's going to be huge and then just you know can they get any kind of production off the bench that's the other huge question to me because other than Crawford who's what is 38 now yeah. uh they don't really have anybody uh, and I guess whichever of Jang or Gibson we're talking about Bielitz I guess he's okay but yeah I mean the, and Jones all right so I guess it's not maybe it's not that bad maybe it's just they really need one more wing because I think Jones could be a quality backup point guard but there's still the depth on the wing is one of the big weaknesses I see no question yeah that's a huge weakness I know they're trying to get Shabazz Muhammad to take a vet minimum deal uh to come back which uh I think would at least give them some offensive punch uh if if you were to come back, you'd still have a lot of problems defensively yeah. with they, that. Yeah, I mean, but, they already um, have enough of those guys. I'm not worried about the offense in yeah. the second unit. They'll just play. Right. They can. They got Crawford can shoot plenty of shots. You know, maybe not efficiently. And then they, whichever a Butler or Wiggins is uh, going to be out there, like they got plenty of guys to create shots. It's just who can like defend on the yeah. second unit on the wing and make some shots. You know, just just in general, their lack of role players to me is uh, very surprising because you Tibbs really got a lot out of role players. It, in Chicago and I would have thought that he would have valued those types of guys who can hit a shot and maybe just play a little defense maybe more than he had well the cynic in in me would say that is he just punting on the second unit so he doesn't have to face questions about why he plays plays the starter so much I mean you know (laughs) you don't know like he's just like well what am I gonna do I only got a you know I got right now they got 10 guys on the roster so this is you know I have no other choice and uh you know part of it is this is gonna be life for them though going forward as you said earlier in the podcast Nate like okay right now Wiggins is going to get his max Towns will get his max next year and then the year after that they'll have to figure out what they want to do with Butler and and uh and so if, if you have that rock that construction financially you're going to have to fill in with vet minimum guys you know and and plug and play and you it, teams like Golden State obviously Houston and others are are having success getting some of those guys but the the real question is going to be will Will players come to Minnesota to on vet minimum deals to play? And the answer has been no forever and ever. Uh, but you know, maybe if they win enough games and show enough progress, they'll they'll have a chance to do that. Uh, but th- this is going to be the roulette that they have to play, and that's one other reason, Nate, that they could have had C.J. Miles from Indiana, um, which I think would have fit really well in that second unit. Oh yeah, giving them a, a you know a defender, three point shooter, um, all of those. If they would have given up the 
OKC uh, first-round draft pick for next year that they got in the Rubio deal from Utah. And ultimately, they decided we're not going to give up that pick because we know we're going to need this cheap salary to fill in the back end of our... Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't have made that trade either, actually. Yep. That's, a, that's the first I'd heard of that. But yeah, I mean, just, just for the right to sign and trade for him, that, that wouldn't have necessarily made a lot of sense. I mean, well, I guess, would they have also been getting off of like Aldrich's contract Aldrich, or something yes. with that? Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they right. yeah, yeah. So now yep. if, you're, if you're moving him as well, yeah, that actually does start to make more sense then. Yep. But in, you know, and I, I was a little surprised because we all know Tibbs wants to win now and, and he's geared for that. But really, they did stay patient and said, you know, we don't we don't want to um, we don't want to give up that pick because we know we're going to need. They don't have a, a first round pick next year because of the, the disastrous yeah. Adrian Payne trade a couple of years ago. And and so uh, they, they need that Oklahoma City pick uh, to even if it's going to be at the back end of the first round to try and find somebody that they can plug in there at a, at a cheap rate. And and so. So that's you know that's kind of their their that's their new world that they're operating in because this was the last summer that they had really cap space to spend. Yeah, and I thought uh, to me, I mean, I I might have even as I've said before tried to be even more aggressive and move Jang and but you know I mean they also need that lottery pick so that they can draft another center. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> well, so can we talk about Justin Patton quickly? I mean, yeah. I don't expect him to play a lot mm-hmm. this year. You know, maybe he'll be the fourth big depending on if they play four traditional bigs, but. I guess, you know, Bielitz is in that mix as well. So he's probably not going to play at all. Drafted number 16. What is like the party line on like what the organization thinks he could be? Why why they did take another center when you have, you know, obviously uh, a $16 million center under contract. And then you got Carl Towns, who's also, you know, at least center size if they don't see him as a center. Yeah, I think that they ultimately, again, it gets back to what they think about Gorgie long-term. Whether whether they keep him or not, they don't see him as, as a starter on, on this team that's contending so they see him as a as a big off the bench or you or you try so to move sounds like the else. kind of guy you'd want to sounds like the kind of guy you'd want to invest 16 million a year yeah, in when right? you don't even see him as a starter internally yeah but, i uh, know i know so yeah there are there are, there are definitely questions to be asked about that but uh with Patton, um they they see all sorts of potential uh i not i haven't heard it internally but externally some people have said you know he's not that i mean he's a very very poor man's Chris Bosch type of a player that um, they think could be versatile, could play four or five, uh, would be a complement next to Towns in terms of being able to run the floor, block some shots, hit the open jumper, maybe even extend out to three-point range eventually. Now, again, he's years away from being able to contribute right away, but where they were at at 16 there, that's the, that's the they, they saw him as the guy who had the best potential to eventually kind of develop into to a starting caliber player and if you look at okay Gibson is here for two more years Gorgie is here for right now but maybe he gets moved eventually uh you, you're you are going to need you know a, another big man Aldrich is already buried and he's not going to be playing much longer uh with this team so uh it, it, I think it was a forward-looking move at at getting a guy who can develop in in two or three years when they when all of a sudden all of these centers besides Towns are gone maybe he'll come in handy yeah I think for Patton yeah I can criticize the pick I didn't really see it in him but if the guy can play it's a good pick if you get somebody who can play at 16 he's a good pick yeah I think that's it and that's I mean that's what they need this is where they're going to be drafting um 
you, you, uh, presumably going Yeah, they better forward. hope they're drafting later than this. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. With this so, so they got to be able to unearth some of these guys. And and so they, they if this guy has high upside in their mind, uh, they're going to go for it and, and, and try and kind of stockpile talent. And, you know, again, they maybe maybe he plays well enough and it, maybe he's a tradable asset going forward. I think that they, they have to be in the asset accumulation mode still at the back end of, of their roster and now they they have they have uh, they bought a D League team, a G League team uh, that they're going to start running this year. Now it's in Iowa, and so if they use that right, you, they could they can maybe develop him a little bit faster and and get him up to speed a little bit quicker. And and uh, you know that this is what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to find those guys. They're going to have to find vet minimum guys, and they're going to have to get creative probably with a Gorgie trade eventually to to kind of supplement the core that they have right now and 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 vault it into that top four area which is where they want to be all right uh let's get the official associated press <laughs> sanctioned just just kidding on that one uh predicted a record uh, for the minnesota timberwolves in uh, the 2017-18 season yeah it's it's kind of difficult right now and i don't want to s- sit on the fence but they have three more spots to 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 add. They, you, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're not done yet. I mean, if if they're able to let's let's just say by some miracle or whatever, let's say they get Tony Allen and they get you know Shabazz Muhammad and somebody else, and you know I, I feel even a little bit better about about where where they are um, right now as it stands. And let's say they just get you know replacement level players in. Um, you know, I think maybe forty seven and thirty five somewhere in there. Uh, sounds sounds about right. Maybe forty six to forty eight. I think is 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 the window of where they're at right now. And then um, you know, if they are able to get like the perfect guys uh, to take some minimum deals uh, and offer some, and, and, and in exchange for some playing time promises, maybe they can vault up into forty nine or fifty wins. But uh, that's still in a, it's a huge jump. I mean, they they won thirty one games last year. But I still expect Towns to make a big leap again. I expect Wiggins to play better and I think the the Butler edition is is a game changer. So um I, I like them I like them right around that 46 to 48 and, and I'll probably I'll split the difference right now and go 47 with you know with the caveat that I can inflate that a little bit if if they hit the right moves with these last three spots. I don't know what do you think? Well they started at I'm starting them as kind of a 38 win baseline negative 1.0 net rating last year. Mm-hmm. So they as they always seem to vastly underperformed their point differential with the 31 win so if you start them at a 38 win baseline obviously butler i mean they basically were were bringing out guys rush levine even although he he scored well you know by the advanced rpm metrics was a negative player so even just adding on butler you think if they're exactly the same as last year he's a a 10 win player probably to me and then you also have to throw in that towns and wiggins should get better Uh, um jang could maybe take a little step forward though i think he's 27 already so maybe not Uh, gibson not a great fit but but an upgrade i mean if you just look at the talent on this roster if you could just say 
say if you're just ranking the teams in terms of the talent that they have you know i think that they would be you know easily a, a team that's winning in the 50 and the question is just, and i think also teague is is a better fit than rubio rubio certainly better defensively but with some of the other guys that they have at least teague can hit a shot you got to guard him out there and i thought that was a good trade by them essentially to get that pick for rubio and then sign teague for more money but still a relatively similar salary slot i think he'll be better for them even if you know maybe on another team rubio might be better but not this one so you know i think with, with all of that it looks like a team that's going to win in the 50s it's just the question of how do they fill out the depth and just is this team going to be way less than the sum of its parts on both ends and i have that fear i mean i think if they had just gotten role players more shooting filled out this roster a little bit differently used the room exception on someone who fills a much a need more than crawford does you know i think i'd be picking them for like 55 wins yeah. um but i i still the, am more optimistic than you are i think i'll go with 49 wins uh, you know what no no I, i'm gonna go higher i'm gonna go 51 okay i'm gonna go 51 wins for for this group i just think that they have all these issues but just that towns and butler are so good i mean those are two probably top almost certainly top 15 players in the nba and then you know it's not like the talent around them sucks right. either you know it's just not the greatest fit in the world and they have a guy i consider to be a pretty decent coach injuries could hit certainly and that could be a problem especially with all the minutes but uh knock on wood towns and wiggins have been able to handle that so far butler's been able to handle that so far in his career so yeah i think i'll go with 51 wins that's interesting actually usually i am more pessimistic than the guest is well, but i mean i guess having uh, how long have you actually been in minnesota I just, covering the i was Wolves? just gonna say uh nate that i, I think that's coloring <laughs> it because i've covered the team set my my first day covering the, this beat was the day flip got, saunders got fired in 2005 the year after they went to the western conference finals and he got fired mid-season um and so i have never covered a playoff game and slept in my own bed and and so uh i think that the 14 the 13 years of covering this team and understanding that whatever can go wrong does go wrong uh and something always gets in the way probably tamps my optimism just a little bit and i i still think you know 47 wins or or 48 would be you know in 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 a vacuum of where or where this franchise has been over the last decade plus, that would be a remarkable season for them. And and so uh, yeah, I, I think that I I probably have the scar tissue built up uh, from covering this beat for so long and seeing you know just st- stub toe after stub toe that uh, I I'm just a little bit cautious going it in, going into these years. Yeah, I mean I've got some even just from the time that I've been in, in NBA media. Thirteen fourteen was another season that had a ton of optimism they had like a 48 win differential mm-hmm. and it didn't even go 500 and then it, obviously last year was another year when people i mean at least expected them to be around 500 and uh, obviously they weren't that but i do think that like the de- they can't help but be better defensively with gibson and butler in the fold now and sooner or later you know, talent but, wins butler out is just right a really yeah. sooner or later talent yeah. wins out. i mean he is just a yeah. really really good player I, I mean i think if if everyone you know if wiggins butler and towns all play 70 games and they 
they finished with 47 wins that would be an unbelievable disappointment mm-hmm. to me I, I would be really and I think you know because that's kind of like six seed seventh seed like first round fodder type of type of thing which I uh you know I, I, I that would be a disappointment and, and I mean you're, you're really like they pushed a lot of their chips in in a great way you know obviously that Butler trade was, was a heist and you do that a hundred times out of a hundred but this is their team now you know and if this team only gets to 47 wins Butler can be a free agent after one more year you know is he going to want to stick around for a 47 win team who knows or maybe you're just gonna have to overpay him like crazy or or also I mean the other thing too is if they win 47 games to me it means that Wiggins just you know totally stagnates like that would probably be the other problem well and and, I mean the other thing that I'm looking at here though the reality is I mean the West is going to be brutal you know I mean look at their division Utah Oklahoma City Portland Denver like I mean Utah lost Hayward so they're going to probably take a step back but um you there's firepower up and down just that division let alone you know the the rest of the conference and so I you know I I, they're going to run up against competition on a nightly basis just playing in the west that uh you know is is going to be hey if if they get to 51 or 52 or 53 wins and uh in this conference I mean that's that's this year I, I think that's even more of an achievement than it would be in in a lot of years just given the the talent imbalance between the two sides yeah I think that that the fact that they're in the west that obviously affects the seating Mm -hmm. and how far they get in the playoffs to me more the actual number of wins I I don't think it is as much the research that I've read on this subject indicates even if you're at a maximum conference disparity which we basically (laughs) are this year uh that it's really only worth about Ah, two wins per season being in one conference or the other actually I think uh Jared Dubin looked at it earlier when the schedule came out and he said that the easiest schedule is Cleveland but part of that too is because you don't have to play yourself and the hardest schedule I think was was Phoenix and you know they obviously don't get to play themselves because they're gonna be bad and so he said that the difference in schedules that they those two teams have is about 2.7 wins and part of that is just because that team itself is good or bad so it's because you think about it 58 of the games are the exact same right so it's basically you know if the average Western Conference win percentage is 53 and the average in the East is 47 you're only talking about the difference between playing a 53% win percentage over 24 games and same thing with uh would it be 24 games yeah whatever it is. 20 yeah 24 games or it would be um you know between 53 and 47 so that's really you know that seems like about two wins over like a 24 game period to be playing those schedules long-winded way of saying I don't think it matters that much people say that all the time like oh they're not going to win any games because they're you know in this conference and I'm like no it really matters for playoff seating and whether you're going to get far in the playoffs but as far as just your raw regular season win total it's only you know a win or two that it's well really and affected. and building off of that i think in a best um, case scenario for them to vault into that the, that 50 plus win territory i do think that this is a team that will have some of the 60 win atlanta hawks ish kind of approach uh of a few years ago in terms of they're just going to play hard every night right you know and and that'll be a difference in a couple of wins in the regular season i mean tibbs will just push these guys and i I do think that they'll have guys that will respond and and they're they're not going to to mail in performances probably quite as often as some other teams do and so by virtue of that they're going to win a few a few games just because they grind it out a little bit harder than you know than some of the other teams they're going to run up against in January and February and certainly in April so well I'll tell you what though if Tibbs can't get this team to defend this This year having brought in his guys like yeah I mean like there's I mean and now this Butler trade was right. a heist, right? I mean, the fact that he 
was able to do that and and also i thought the fact that they just didn't participate that much in the summer mm-hmm. of 2016 mm-hmm. until they gave jang that extension but even so they they stayed out of that market a little bit i thought they did well there but everything else really that he's done since he came in i have not really been a huge fan of and so if he does things his way and brings in his guys and they still don't defend this year and this team doesn't get to 50 wins you know that to me would be a, a pretty massive disappointment and, and he would deserve a lot of scrutiny as a result of that um so what do you see as like the worst case scenario for this team we won't say all right you know massive injuries right. or anything but it, you know just things don't go as well as yeah as i mean well. I, I do think worst case scenario is you know whether you know maybe gibson and crawford are just too old and so they don't give much of anything and yeah. uh then when you don't have those guys then you get even thinner and so and the defense again does not take hold and and wiggins and butler do prove to be stepping on each other's toes rather than complement each other and so if all of those things happen worst case and and you know they're not they're you know the tibbs's defensive mantra is again not sinking in uh then the worst case is they get swallowed up a little bit in the west and and they do dip into that lower 40s win total and then they're scraping for an eight seed and yeah then i think all bets are off in terms of what happens because like you said this is this will be the referendum on the tibbs regime and whether this you know he you know, we've seen across the league like the president coach model is crumbling there's you know basically him and stan are left i mean i don't even count pop because buford is such a huge force there in san antonio so it's basically van gundy and tibbs running as as the only only guys really running their shows and and so there will be a lot of hard questions to ask if this team does underachieve for a second straight season and he's either battling to get into the playoffs or you know even gets in and then is summarily dismissed right away in a round one type of a situation yeah I think that's the worst case scenario and then I think yeah that that Tibbs will have some explaining to do yeah I would say 45 would be about the worst case for me that sounds right um, yeah that sounds right you know barring some catastrophic injuries of course but yeah. yeah yeah I think 44 45 and you know what is that the seven seed um you know in in this in you know in, in this conference i'm not sure so. yeah uh best case for me i think they could get to 57 win i think they could just be Woo! i mean well they were 10th wow. in offense last year like maybe they if yeah. they're like you know the sixth or fifth best offense i mean they have that level of talent even if it doesn't all fit together in terms mm-hmm. of shooting but maybe they just overcome that and they kill people on the offensive glass and they push the ball in transition and blah blah you know or they and then if they could get to be like it wouldn't shock me if this could become the 10th best defense um with year two and Tibbs systems you get some guys helping out uh, Wiggins and Tom start to fulfill their potential but I could see this being you know the 10th best offense sixth best defense like maybe they could get up there uh so uh, I, I'm not saying that's likely but there's so much talent on this team I don't want to rule that out or maybe you know a trade could happen as well that would balance out this roster a little bit yeah I, I, I do I, I I mean 57 yeah that's that's a that's a lofty goal but right if okay if if, if if the defense does does somehow make a jump from 26 to 10 or six or, or nine or eight i mean people were predicting that would happen a, last year right i mean it's now right it didn't yeah, obviously yeah. that was probably way too rosy but mm-hmm. you know that that's what people yeah. were thinking would happen yeah and so if that happens and if if it's clear that the young talent here um gets 
the gets buoyed by having veterans who can really play around them. And if Crawford and um, Teague and, and and Gibson really kind of are are just stout, really reliable veteran players that you know they're being signed to be. And yeah, that 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 and they get off to a really good start, and so the confidence gets rolling. Wiggins shoots thirty eight percent from three uh, to give them another dimension, and 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 all of those things happen. Then yeah, I, I do think that yeah into the mid 50s would not surprise me 55 wins um would you know 50 55 56 you know again like my scar tissue again has me hard has a hard time <laughs> yeah. like well, this is, this is predicting the, the Timberwolves scenario. to win 57 games but yeah, yeah best case yeah yeah I, I think that yeah you're you're right with just the, the 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 amount of elite talent that they do have with a coach that does know x's and o's um uh, yeah, if they are able to to galvanize defensively, uh, then yeah, yeah, I think they vault into top three or four seed in the West territory, and and probably a team that not many not many want to play because if they're in the top ten defensively, Nate, that means that they also likely have a lot of moving parts that can switch and guard multiple positions, yeah, and can give teams a heck of a lot of problems. Uh, Wiggins can guard two, three, four, right? I, in the best case scenario, Towns can switch out and and guard Curry on the perimeter. That's how they beat the Warriors at home a couple of years ago and shocked them. I mean, you know, so uh, yeah, if that if that all happens, they do. The tools are there. If they can all if it can all come together, yeah, then it, then then we could really be talking about something pretty special. All right, well, I want to close on this. Uh, if we're just ranking just the pure talent on the roster, you know, just in terms of like you know, where you're ranking players in the NBA, who do we think has a better roster than Minnesota? All right, Cleveland for sure. Golden yep. State. Golden State. Houston. Yeah, Houston. Um, maybe OKC. I think they're pretty. Those they're maybe. pretty even. I mean, Russell Westbrook was the MVP yeah. last year, but I think of him as like you know the fifth best player in the league, and Paul George and Butler mm-hmm. are pretty similar. So maybe OKC. Mm-hmm is a little bit more talented i mean i think more supporting players on uh okc perhaps you could put them about equal maybe the spurs just because yeah. they've been so good for a while see and that's see, that, it I, I think the spurs yeah 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 i agree i and, and i even maybe say boston like, the maybe spurs boston. look may, maybe boston um but w- with the spurs like they win because they've been together and and they have a great system and they and look they're, they're incredibly talented too but like okay okay you have quiet leonard and but is LaMarcus Aldridge, what, what, you know, what yeah. level, what would he be on the Wolves? Like sure. option three or four, right? So, um, so in, in just in terms of pure talent, yeah, I think they're right there, yeah. uh, from top end talent, uh, maybe not all the way through the ro- roster one through 12 or so, but I think from what you want, what you, what wins games in the league, what wins championships is elite talent. And so that cluster of elite talent with the Wolves is, yeah, is right up there. I think in the top five or six in the league probably yeah and that's why if they don't reach that level to me it's going to be a massive disappointment because if they don't it's that you just you got the big stuff right which is so hard for most teams to do and then you just couldn't get the easy stuff right after that you know which right. is, i mean it's not easy but it's easier than getting you know right. you, you've got two top 15 players in the league 
on your team a lot of teams would sure be really happy with that so uh yeah i, I think that's uh that's about all i wanted to hit here um where can uh the people follow you yeah thanks nate uh it was, it was a great time uh so i'm on i'm on twitter ap krasinski k-r-a-w-c-z-y-n-s-k-i and that right on my profile page you'll have there'll be links to where you can read my stories i post most of my stories on twitter and then also we have a podcast uh timberwolves based podcast called the you betcha basketball podcast on mnspn.com that you can find there it's a local one with the star tribune columnist jim suhan we you know talk talk wolves all all year long too so that's kind of where i'm doing most of my work right now and hopefully people stop by and and check it out yeah john probably at least to, to my recollection breaking more wolves stories of, of any of the local guys so it's certainly uh an essential foul and uh thanks so much for coming on looking forward to seeing you throughout the season john great thanks a lot nate i appreciate you having me we'll be right back with james ham to talk about the sacramento kings but first this from our sponsor wink you spell it w-i-n-c wink is a wine club that is customized to your taste preferences when when i went through their quiz they asked a bunch of questions that were really interesting to me but they have done a pretty nice job in finding some wines that i like never been a huge wine guy but i've been enjoying a lot of their wines this summer they asked if you like coffee how you feel about salt If you like citrus, do you like mushrooms and black truffles, blackberries, blueberries, and raspberries? These are the kind of questions that they ask you, and it must work because they got me some wines that I enjoy. I've never been a huge whiny guy, but I've really been liking the wines that they have sent me so far. They'll even introduce you to new, rare, and custom wines that aren't available anywhere else. They've got a lot of vertical integration with wineries, so they have these exclusive wines available. So if you're one of these people who goes to the store when you're going over to somebody's house and you're bringing over a bottle of wine or you're having guests over you're trying to pick one out and you're like me and you would just pick out the one with the prettiest label now you don't have to do that anymore they'll actually get you something that you're going to enjoy and it's really easy to join up you can join for free and you can skip any month cancel any time they have a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee so you never pay for a bottle you don't like that's the amount of confidence that they have in their ability to get you something that you're going to enjoy right now wink w-i-n-c is offering listeners twenty dollars off their first order when you go to try wink try w-i-n-c.com slash cap space that's the url that slash cap space url of course easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program they cover the cost of shipping that's try wink t-r-y-w-i-n-c.com slash cap space gets you twenty dollars off your first order plus compliment complimentary shipping try wink.com slash cap space again is that url Sacramento, a team that I'm really interested to talk about as well. They made some moves over the offseason, bringing in some veterans to supplement a young core, also drafting Darren Fox with the number five pick, trading down from 10 to 15 and 20, getting Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. And joining me to talk about how that's going to affect the Kings on the court this year, a second time guest, a Kings insider for what is now NBC Sports California. California, James Ham, how are you? Good. How are you, Nate? 
I'm doing great, although I'm I'm not getting my house worked on. Uh, so that <laughs> I don't know whether that makes me better or worse th- than you are. Uh, I've heard those renovation projects are not easy. Yeah, we're in the middle of a massive renovation. I, I added 300 square feet at the beginning of the summer, and now I'm I'm doing a 1,300 square foot addition to my house. Um, I do some of the work myself, uh, but I also have a construction team here. So yeah, uh, crazy. I got I got concrete being poured right now as we speak. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I will hopefully uh, the listeners will not share in that experience too much. Uh, but so where I wanted to start with this team is in talking about what they were after the DeMarcus Cousin trade last year, a net rating of a little bit worse than negative six, one eight and 17 during that time. But what did you think just in general of their performance afterwards? And how is the organization seeing that and seeing the young players that they gave plenty of chances to during that time period? Well, I think what you have to kind of pull back a little bit and and look at the the number of games played by some of these young players. So Malachi Richardson, of course, he tore his hamstring literally like five minutes before the, the All-Star break happened um, in the very tail end of a game. And so he only played 22 games last season. Uh, Papianis came up and played 22 games and Scalabissier played uh, a total of 33 games. So they're young players, they're young core um, outside of Buddy Heald played very sparingly and so we got to see a flash of of Scal which I think everyone was super impressed by sort of what you see the potential that you see there he needs to get stronger um he needs to maybe refine his go-to move um but overall i I think you have to be really impressed with his his jumper is beautiful um he rebounds outside of his zone which is great to see for a young guy he's got an incredible wingspan and athleticism he's got great post moves i think people in sacramento are really excited about what scal showed you i think poppy you know you saw in summer league too he's a long ways away he probably needs another year at least in Reno uh, and maybe even more than that before he plays any substantial minutes. But the Kings have plenty of depth at the at the power forward center position. So, you know, he probably won't play a lot. And and then I think Buddy Hill played really well down the stretch. And I think Buddy Hill kind of, you know, gave you a glimpse of what you saw in college. And he showed that his game can translate, although not on the defensive end. I mean, defensively, he was a sieve uh, for plenty of time on the court. But, you know, it, it showed you that there is some promise there are some pieces and hopefully there is a future there one of those guys needs to develop and become something more than just a rotational player yeah who do you think and i guess you could throw willie Colley stein into that mix as well the 23 year old he played a lot more 1400 minutes but really got a chance to shine had some big games down the stretch as well i don't scal i think had that 32 point game against at phoenix which uh i know grant napier was was really excited about i remember watching uh watching that game um of those guys at least the ones who are on the team last year who do you think has the best chance of becoming what you're talking about someone who beyond you know just a starter or a rotational player well i think buddy Hield can be a you know 18 point score in the league not long term but you know for bursts he can do kind of what marcus thornton did when he got an opportunity put up 20 points for a season or two um he's a guy who who really can't score but his lack of 
of defensive acumen and also uh, the fact that he does not play make for anyone else really does limit sort of his ceiling in my book. Um, I'd like to see him get better. I know he he comes from the Kobe Bryant school of thought where he just absolutely kills himself trying to get better every single day. Um, there's a Rob Polinko co- connection between the two and you know they've had conversations and I'll tell you when he has a bad shooting game he'll be in the gym for two hours shooting afterwards and if you ever watch Buddy Hill in pregame his pregame starts about two hours before the game and he gets up three or four hundred shots in pregame it's absolutely bizarre to watch even when he was with the Pelicans I watched him do an entire kettlebell workout before a game I was thinking why in the world would you be doing <laughs> this but he just pushes himself he pushes himself so hard so I'm not going to say he can't be a really good NBA player uh, just because he has a drive to be great and that's sort of the first thing that you need is the drive to be great um, but if I'm going to look at the the four guys that you mentioned uh, that we've mentioned or five guys with Malachi thrown in Papianis, Scal, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein and, and Buddy I'm going to say that Scal has the biggest upside uh, Willie he's enigmatic you have no idea who and what he is because some games he shows up he's in he's incredible at the games he just completely disappears and the consistency thing that we saw at Kentucky is really played out here in Sacramento as well and I think he can be an elite defender um, but there's a problem when you bring in so many pieces like this that are so young and we haven't even talked about the five rookies sure, that sure. they're bringing in this coming year uh, it's that all of these guys no one really knows who and what they are as an NBA player so you're gonna have guys who think that they're so much more than they are and try to prove that each and every night and it really does hurt the quality of basketball on the court and so the gangs are gonna have to figure out a way to sort of pigeonhole these guys initially and get them into a position and a role and make them get really good at that role and then expand that role uh, but it's just so tough with young players so I you know again Lebisier to me um, he's he's got the whole package he's a great kid he's got a million dollar smile and he is absolutely so smooth at everything that he does he just needs to get stronger and more experience um, again you know a kid from Haiti who, who really didn't have the the real high school you know experience and everything else that that a lot of these young players you know starting in AAU at seven or eight years old by the time they get to high school they already know you know playbooks and stuff like that that's just not something Scal had so I, I like him a lot I think he's got tremendous upside uh, and the Kings are going to have to be patient with him but also I think they need to showcase him showcase him this year and let him really get some burn uh, and try to develop yeah and I was hopeful that they would do that as well a couple of things that I have concerns about with him my hope let's start with this one too I think that he would be best long term as a center especially with his shooting ability ability to get up on the pick and roll but they have a million centers on this team now and they brought in another guy who's really kind of a center in Zach Randolph at this point too so do you think they clearly see him as a power forward do you agree with that do you think that's his best long-term position or or would you like to see him group more as a center no I I do think he is a power forward long term even in the way the NBA is going uh, you know a lot of people want him to shift over and play some small forward and that's just not going to happen he he does not have that's insane uh yeah the lateral quickness and everything else I mean he's got great lateral quickness for a uh, power forward um but I just don't think he has a body frame that you can 
can bulk up. And even in today's NBA where, you know, lighter frame guys are playing at the four and the five, uh, I, I think that getting to the five position, there will be nights where he just absolutely gets gets killed because he's just not strong enough. Um, I think you can steal minutes at the five with him, especially in a really fast up and down paced, uh, um, you know, sort of, you know, frenetic offense. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, we, we call him and Willie Coley-Stein the thin towers. <laughs> Uh, in Sacramento. <laughs> so uh, they they are so incredibly thin. And, you know, I, I don't think either one of them have really, I mean, they can bulk up upper body and they can, you know, look like they just got done with the gym. Um, but can they uh, bully people? And I don't think they can. And to be honest with you, Scal has unlimited range. Yeah. I mean, you're going to see him shoot. There will be a point where, you know, he shoots 100, 153 pointers a season um, just because he's got that kind of range. He's just got to be beautiful jump shot and what i love about his jump shot is it, it reminds me a little bit of uh richard lewis in that he shoots at the top he fully extends upward and he shoots at the top of his jump and so his jump shot his follow-away jump shot is just gorgeous but his jump shot is it, you can't block it yeah it's you know we're talking about 11 feet up in the air guys shooting his jump shot there's no way to block it and so i really do think that he can play the stretch four position and kind of expand and his game um i'm excited about him you know he he has a lot more to his game than anyone knew when you know from his one year at kentucky and i think he was the steal of the the 2015 16 nba draft uh even though malcolm uh brogdon had such a great season that scal is the steal of that draft he has all kinds of potential yeah and i danny i know lo- loved him i i think he's more talented than that i'm hopeful that he could become more than we've seen defensively you mentioned the the fact that doesn't have as much of a traditional basketball background I think that shows a little bit in his defensive instincts as well didn't block a ton of shots last year but yeah the athleticism is amazing that jumper is beautiful he he can get it off against anyone especially if he is being guarded by a power forward he probably hit maybe at a little bit unsustainable range he shot over 50 percent basically on twos outside of 10 feet you know that's well over 50 percent in fact so and then and when he gets actually closer to the basket he didn't shoot as well because he can kind of get bumped off that shot when he's trying to get into his jump hook as you mentioned if he's trying to really bully guys and go through them he can get knocked off balance and struggle a little bit more i think i like him when he just says hey you know what i don't care how uh, if i'm not right where i need to be i'm gonna just take a dribble and jump over you and shoot it instead of like trying to go through guys but maybe he'll acquire that ability a little bit more i did think his summer league was a little bit disappointing although it was a certainly a team that did not have much space for, for him to, to go to work playing next to papa g uh let's talk about the rookies now De'Aaron fox drafted number five then they signed george hill uh, maybe over the top of him although certainly hill is accomplished playing at the two as well a quality spot up option so those two guys maybe could play together but i assume the plan is going to be for hill to start this year at the one and they'll bring fox along slowly yeah, that's what I would assume uh, from everything that I've, I've gauged from these guys. What they don't want to do is put them in a position to fail. Now, I do believe that there will come a point this season because this is a young team that's going to struggle. Uh, you know, it's not just young in age, um, but also experience. I just wrote on this the other day. They have outside, if you take Willie Cauley-Stein and and uh, Buddy Heald out of the equation, they have eight guys on the roster with a, a combined like 77 games of NBA experience coming into the season total they've got eight guys I, I, on rookie scale contracts like it's unbelievable right now yeah i, I mean it's it's absolutely 
absolutely nuts if you look at it, but they, you know, you're bringing in, you had four rookies last year, but those four rookies, we already talked about, you know, 22 games for Malachi, 22 for Papa Giannis and 33 for Scal. That's nothing. They have no experience. And and then you match that with five rookies because Frank Mason will make the team. Uh, and then they brought in uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich from overseas. So I think my point is that if you're going to run De'Aaron Fox out there, you're going to have to have the necessary pieces around him and you're going to want him to develop correctly, you know, and you're going to want him to understand the, the NBA game and, and really have George Hill put him under his wing and, and develop him and help him get to the next level. Uh, throwing him out there for, you know, 30 minutes a game with a team around him that really is inexperienced isn't going to do anyone any good. So Dave Yeager has a, a really big task of sort of mixing uh, his five veterans with his 10 young players that have no experience or 10, nine young players. And then Willie Cauley-Stein, who at least has two years NBA experience, but it's going to be a really difficult thing. And you, again, you want to put De'Aaron Fox in a position where number one, you have floor spacers so he can use his elite speed to break people down, but also, you know, sort of the right mix of players and it's going to be tough. And I think that's why they went out and they gave George Hill, you know, pretty sizable money, but it's only for two years and the third year they have a million dollar buyout which is absolutely shocking that he would take that yeah. well, what, what um, so else did he have you know i mean he didn't he didn't have anything else so i think i i was i actually ended up being surprised when that finally went down that he got even that much just because there weren't necessarily any other options certainly people were saying in the middle of last year when he was killing it for utah that he would get more but the market just wasn't there for him yeah, I, I agree. And I guess the one option he had was to go to the Lakers on a shorter term deal, yeah. on a one year deal. But it would have been the same situation where he was bringing along a young point guard. And so I. I think he's the right guy to do it. I think he he does have some experience with, you know, young point guards. He did get raised in the San Antonio Spurs uh, system. So he understands what how, how you pass it on, how you pay, pay it forward type deal. And so I, I like that George Hill is the guy. Um, but it's going to be an interesting season because it, it won't be long before De'Aaron Fox is pushing. And that guy is, is a worker as well. Um, but his athleticism and speed and, you know, just think of Willie Cauley-Stein and Scalabissier running the floor with him as his bigs. I mean, the future is pretty bright in Sacramento just because the pace that they can play at and the ability to run that they should have. So I I like Fox. I think he was a very, very good pick. Um, And, you know, the Kings were really, really smart in not selling their 10th pick in order to move up to get him. Um, You know, they just waited it out and were patient. And, uh, you know, I I think they made a a very good decision there. Yeah, Fox is really just breathtaking in transition. That's the biggest thing that that stuck out to me. The jumper from three is not there, but I think he actually... He's not like an Alfred Payton level bad shooter from two. You know, I think like he was able to hit that shot in college uh, from uh, on long twos or in summer league mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I would have liked the Hill signing a little bit better if they didn't have like a, a million twos. So they got healed, Bogdan Bogdanovich. They still have Garrett Temple, who uh, a signing that I was critical of when it looked like he was going to be the backup point guard, but he played probably had the best year of his career last year. He was excellent. Mm-hmm. He's clearly going to be in the mix as well. Malachi, you imagine especially now he suffered another uh slight recurrence i guess of that hamstring injury you know i can't imagine he's necessarily 
necessarily going to be in the mix there at the two but how do you see that shaking out because in theory healed bogdan and garrett temple all guys who you know are solid 20 25 minute a game players at least yeah i think what we're going to see is is a lot of those guys shifting to play in a in a three guard set or i mean they're going to have to be wings if they're going to want playing time they're going to have to play the three and yeah. garrett can temple any of those guys guard the three well i think that's the biggest problem i think garrett temple can guard a lot of people but as yeah. soon as you put size at the three he runs into problems he sure. you know you can shoot over him the kings got lit up last year late in the season um by by just taller small forwards so they've got a little bit of an issue there uh, but i think you can still steal 20 minutes a game for garrett temple at the three uh as far as bogdanovich and healed i think they're gonna fight it out in training camp for the starting job i do believe that the kings are really really high on bogdanovich yeah Dibot's uh, called him the best player in europe as i recall yeah yeah and, and the way that not only that he played over the last two years but the way that he led his teams to championships and to silver medals and you know he did a lot of a lot to prove people that he's ready to come into the league the thing about the healed versus bogdanovich thing is you're gonna have to look at how do you pair each of these one with george hill and one with De'Aaron fox uh just because of experience and you know both of them are around well i think uh, bogdanovich just turned 25 buddy healed will be 24 this season um but what you're looking at is a guy in bogdanovich that can really create for others and really set people up um he's got a lot of uh pick and roll game in him he's a really really accomplished shooter uh, he's a good passer a good rebounder you know defensively i don't think he's any worse than than buddy Hill, and he might even be yeah. better you, you know it's interesting and, actually and, i i was surprised to hear this but i had uh aaron jackson who's a your league veteran with uh, seska Mosca on my show about a month ago and he was saying actually that bogdanovich's defense is underrated and he's going to be better defensively than uh, people think he's going to be yeah i think so too i don't think he has incredible lateral lateral quickness which is you know oh and the two guard position in the nba is is so difficult to guard anyways but he can really set people up and so i think having another ball handler on the floor is good and i think that's what gives him an, a major advantage over buddy hield unfortunately for buddy so i think those guys are going to split minutes i think in a perfect world you would see george hill play some two or, or De'Aaron fox play some two which he yeah. did at summer league because uh, hill Mason is a better up. player to me than any of their twos you know i mean if you just said hey if, oh no i like, agree hill yeah. hill is just going to be our you know going to start for us at, at the two if you you know they had another point guard that they want to play who might might be fox like he's better to me than any of those guys uh, with his two-way ability and his uh, ability to spot up and, and probably can do more off the dribble than any of those guys either yeah i think the team the kings still have an unbalance in, in their roster i mean again you're you have five veterans uh kufis zach randolph vince carter uh garrett temple and, and george hill and, and then you have really 12 young players because they they signed the two two-way players with jakar sampson and jack cooley um but you you really have an imbalance of uh, just way too many young players and so there there might come a time where the kings quickly i don't want to say give up on somebody but make a move to to get another veteran for a position just so you're not strung out all season long with having you know young players failing and struggling all the time and you know so when you talk about a guy like malachi richardson i think what we saw at summer league was number one he got hurt but number two i think justin jackson was much better he was more accomplished yeah. he was more mature on the court than what we've seen out of malachi and it's unfortunate but that's what happens when you're one and done at, at syracuse and you come into the league and 
then you get injured and then, you know, you, you check out what we've, you know, Justin Jackson plays three years in North Carolina. He comes in, he's seasoned, he's ready to play. He's 22 years old. He's mature. And so, you know, you're going to have some battles for, for playing time on this roster for sure, but you do have way too many young players. Yeah. And, and I don't even know how else to put it. You have way too many young players where these guys just aren't going to get playing time. A lot of these guys are going to spend a ton of time with Reno Bighorns and Derek Martin. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that helps and it gets them the playing time that they need and the development they need. But still, you know, the two guard position is a mess. The three is a mess. I think the four and the five you can kind of figure out and the point guard position you can kind of figure out. But there's some really, really nice training camp battles on this team. You know, it's interesting. I think I'm not sure that this was their strategy, but in particular, but I kind of like the idea of, you know what, we can't say like, oh, you know what, we've got Malachi Richardson. He's the one guy that we're going to try to develop now at the two. I like having multiple options because it acknowledges, frankly, that we don't know precisely which young players can actually emerge. And, you know, if someone is in your system, if they're playing in Reno, you can get an idea of whether they're any good or not. Like, presumably, they're going to play well in the D-League if they would play well in the NBA and if they're not playing well in the D League it's hard to say that they would play well in the NBA though I, I thought that Scal actually maybe in some ways was better in the NBA than he was in Reno but you know it's having eight, these eight guys I don't think that's the end of the world because just statistically half of them are just not going to work out as good NBA players so you might as well have eight of them and hope that you get four good players out of it because that's probably all that you're going to get anyway I mean and maybe there'll be a situation where it's like all right this guy languished on the bench and never got playing time to develop but you know i think that is a, a a far smaller risk than the fact that you just commit to a young guy who then just isn't good yeah i i really do believe you have to play the laws of averages so if you if you take the 10 young players including willie and bogdanovich and, and you kind of throw them into one big heap you hope that of the 10 you might get five rotational players maybe if you're lucky and if you hit six then it, I, i'd say that's like borderline miracle and then of the the five or six you need one to be a star and then you need one to be a really good nba player and then you need some really really solid like five six guys in your rotation and maybe an eight guy so i mean you really have to look at this as just the beginning of what they're trying to do and and a gamble on 10 young players and hoping that some of these guys will work out and i think you can already see the guys that that are at least nba players and you can already see that some of these guys are going to struggle and may take a lot more time and may never get there and then there's this huge middle of guys here can justin jackson be an nba starting small forward i'm not sure you know but can he play rotational minutes i do believe he can uh and we we could go down the list with all of these guys but that's where the kings are when you you do a rebuild and i don't think i've ever seen like i haven't gone back to every team ever but i remember the kings drafted four first round picks in the early 90s and lionel simmons travis mays uh dwayne coswell anthony ball uh, in one draft. And I don't remember any team ever getting four first round picks. Maybe there was one other team that's done four first round picks. But if you look at four first round picks one season, and then the next year, three first round picks, plus an early second round pick, plus a European player who was a former first round pick. So really you have, you know, nine guys that are going to make the roster that are all basically first round picks over two years, period. And it's, I, I don't even know how you develop all of them. How do you, you know, you got to love all your children equally but how do you <laughs> how do you bring them all along yeah. well at least 
least they have the D League. You know, that's uh, if it weren't for that, I think I I would be more concerned. But you know, guys develop in the D League. That's what it's for. Like if you believe in in that system, like you you send the guys there, and you know, there's also I think the possibility too that while I I was a little bit critical of of the Hill and Randolph and Carter signings because I just felt like, hey, you know what, this is the year that they have their draft pick. They should just play all these young guys and just see what happens, find out who they have there, get another really high pick, which you know they might anyway but uh well they probably and then, will yeah and then <laughs> but like a really high pick as opposed to like a high ish pick you know which i mean they haven't drafted yeah. higher than four during this whole time despite the fact that they have missed the playoffs now every year since 2006 um but so i thought and then i thought hey you know what you just maintain your cap space until 2018 when it might even go further or you use your space to take on some more assets that might be bad but maybe guys who can play and are veterans but now mm-hmm. you've also picked up an asset for them so that's what i hope that they would do but maybe they could also say you know george hill basically only on a two-year deal he'll come in here he'll have a good effect on guys and then maybe they could move him uh for that type of asset that i was talking about uh towards the end of the year uh or maybe next year and get a little bit of something in addition to you know taking on bad salary or just clearing out the space or what have you uh so maybe that could be the strategy as well i would have probably rather kept a little bit of space open but i could see it maybe playing out that way also I wanted to get to the three. You mentioned Jackson. Do you think he starts or is it going to be Vince Carter? Those are really the only two guys that you could look at as like to have this, the physical profile to guard traditional threes although jackson he might be too skinny to do that even still i'll i'll predict that garrett temple starts at the three um interesting he, he again he's not a prototypical small forward but he's he's a guy who who grinds and just he he pesters people he gets in their way he does everything he can to really defend that position i don't think the kings are going to throw again we have to look at the mix like who's going to start at what position and if you're going to start george hill at the one that that allows you to start start Bogdanovich at the two, uh, a young guy. If you're going to start Scal Lebisier uh, at the four, that means that you need to start a seasoned veteran at the five. So either Willie or Costa. And so I, I really do believe that they're they're going to have a, a tough time mixing and matching. I, I, you know, Dave Yeager is going to have to coach his rear end off all season. Um, but that three position, I think it's still a big question. And I think it's something that they hope that Justin Jackson can be a rotational player. Um, but or that Malachi Richardson can go over and play that position as well. Malachi's got, was he 6'6", but with a 7'1 wingspan, something like that. And he's really, really thick. He's really a strong player and they've worked a ton on his body. He's been in Sacramento all summer working uh, to get ready for this season. But when I really, I look at, you know, that position, it's the biggest question mark because they did get lit up because of their lack of size. Throwing Justin Jackson out there, I don't think is going to help you because I don't think defensively he's going to be great for or, you know, if he's ever great, uh, but he, he definitely is going to struggle in year one and year two, adjusting to the NBA strength at that position. So they're going to struggle at that that spot. And I think Vince Carter may play some minutes there. Like he could play some minutes at the two. It's also possible that Vince Carter plays 10 minutes a game and, he, and he's just kind of an afterthought, but more of a mentor that, that comes in and really helps Dave Yeager and his staff bring these young guys along, teaches them how to be a professional and all that. So I, I think there's a better chance of him playing playing less but if they need him to go in and play you know 15 to 16 minutes a night at the at the three you're probably going to see it because this team is going to struggle especially at that spot on the floor 
You know, it's actually surprising to me if I had to guess, and I, I did, I was on a, a buddy's po- a fantasy podcast and I he asked me who I thought would start is before I talked to you, obviously, without any inside info. I just felt like with the optics of him coming there, the amount that they paid him, his relationship with Yeager, that he might actually be the starter at the three, but it sounds like you think that that's, uh, that's unlikely. Well, I think it's possible, but you know, you're looking at, at two veteran players who bring different things. And if you're going to go offensive at the one and the two, especially and and at the three, if you go with Scal or or Zach Randolph, either one at the at the four, um, I, I think you need a defensive anchor. And while he is undersized for the position, he can naturally switch onto you know the two and the one without any problem and sort of help out. And so I think he's a guy that his versatility helps him. And the fact that he's probably you know he's he's in great shape and he hasn't got a lot of mileage on his body, he's still a guy who could play thirty plus minutes a night without any any questions at age. 31 and so I, I think he's a guy that you just you can count on for 82 games to be there and to be solid and to you know sort of just give you a balance on on the floor that you don't have from other players and especially if you're going to start buddy healed at the two um and you know again just not a defensive player at all you you need someone alongside him that can actually help and i don't think vince carter is a guy that can help buddy Hield become a better defensive player it's just not really his uh forte either especially at 40 going on 41 what's the issue with healed's defense my uh ben falk uh, who used to work in the league he basically described three categories of defensive problems there's can't won't and doesn't know how how like how would you apportion those three things with respect to healed and his defense um i i think all three uh, in all honesty like i've seen plays where um he he wasn't paying attention um and to me the blow buys that you'll see is you know he's setting up and he's looking to you know the side for either a screen coming or to try to align his defender his, his defensive help and and while that's happening, someone will just run right by him and score a basket. So I think that's a little bit of it. I think he's also got the scores mentality and he thinks he's there to score. And that to me, that says it doesn't say you're not an NBA player, but it says you're an NBA six man. Uh, if yeah. that's, you know, if you're Jamal Crawford, who, who thinks that defense is, you know, not something that you do, um, then you're not going to be a starter for very long. And so that's one of the issues. And I think the other issue is that, you know, you've got to have lateral quickness you you know elite lateral quickness at the two and you also have to have length and i don't think he really is he's not a huge shooting guard by any stretch and i don't think he has great length either um uh, and then the lateral quickness saying i think he's quick enough i don't think he's a speed demon by any stretch of the imagination and so you know i think it's all of those things he he can't he won't and he doesn't have the tools um i i don't know and, and again defensive acumen none of these guys have it coming into the league and yeah. especially a guy who gets traded in his rookie season none of them come into the league as you know just great defensive stoppers so so rare you know some guys have the tools to be great but they they need to be coached and everything else and and when you get traded mid-season and an entire franchise is really just like spun out because you just traded you know the franchise and then i don't know how much coaching there can be individual one-on-one coaching when you're just trying to piece together how am i going to make a lineup 
lineup that makes sense while I'm resting like 14 players, you know, half the time they didn't even have a starting point guard, um, you know, because they're resting Lawson and Collison down the stretch. Uh, Koof is sitting out games. I mean, you really stripped it down and, and left Jaeger hanging in the wind and he had to do what he could do just to keep the thing rolling and get the team, you know, to the next step and to the next game. So I really do believe that, you know, there wasn't a lot of coaching and the Kings, they have a really good coaching staff, you know, as far as assistants, uh, who are well known around the league as developmental guys. I'll also point out that while Dave Yeager may have gotten a bad rap here and there about his refusal to play young players, um, I've talked to him about this and his point is like, look, I walked into a situation where I had like a set 10 man rotation of NBA veterans and we were good. He's like, so number one, I'm getting like the 25th pick in the draft. And so how many teams around the league are starting or or playing major minutes with the 25th pick in the draft? Not many of them. He's like, and so those guys, those guys weren't any good either, you know, or they got injured or something like Adams, like barely, you know, barely could play, you know, like those are, so yeah, I mean, there wasn't, any situations in memphis where i was like hey like they these young guys should be playing more because those guys you know this, i mean who uh, among the guys that they drafted or were young players during that period that really should have played i mean maybe you could say jamichael green he broke out a little bit uh, last year with with mm-hmm. this but no i, I mean they're they're I, I think that he and also he didn't necessarily have the job security either that he has now in sacramento he ended up getting fired although he may have been slightly complicit in that but certainly yeah. there are rumors that that they would move on from him so uh yeah i, I think and he certainly last year he didn't have a choice obviously as you mentioned because they're arresting guys uh, to and, but it will be interesting for me to see how much are they going to play zach randolph as opposed to scal how much are they going to play george hill as opposed to fox those are the two where i'm really going to be interested to see how much he goes with the vet uh, and how much and i guess uh Kali stein and kufos as well at the five like those three position battles will be very interesting to me yeah i think they start out all all three of those as 50 50 splits and then you adjust accordingly you walk in with a game plan that I'm going to play, you know, Scal Labissier the first eight minutes of of the first quarter, and then I'm going to bring Zebo in for the last four minutes and the first six minutes of the of the second quarter, and then I'm going to come back to Scal, and then you adjust accordingly. You know how guys are playing. Um, you know we haven't really discussed it, but you know the Zebo thing, it, it is going to be an issue. I, I think personally that he will get at least some suspension coming into the season, um, depending on how his legal trouble. It kind of worked themselves out, but yeah. And real, real quickly, just to to uh, say. Can you just like run through what happened there? Because actually, I don't think I've had a chance to talk about that yet since I've been doing season previews. Yeah, yeah. So he was uh, arrested and booked on uh, intent to sell with uh, two pounds of marijuana from you know the reports and um and, and so basically in California, I mean it's very unlikely that the felony charge sticks. Uh, and I don't know all of the the situation and all the ins and outs. Uh, there's allegedly he was wearing a backpack with a ton of. Uh, ton of marijuana in it um at at a like a block party i guess it was and so basically uh he's he's gonna have to work this out he's got a court date later this month uh we'll figure out what happens in that court date and whether you know they sort of you know if he's going to plead out or if he's going to fight it, if he pleads out, he's going to get a misdemeanor almost assuredly. Uh, while two pounds of marijuana sounds like a tremendous amount uh, in, in California, that's, I mean, it's tough to make the intent to sell uh, things stick. And unless he literally had like price stickers on each individual bag of marijuana that, you know, he was dispersing and had wads of cash. Um, but, you know, he's a 36 year old guy. He made a huge mistake and it's a huge distraction coming into the, into the, 
into training camp where he was brought in to be a veteran. You paid him, you know, 12 million bucks uh, this year and next year. Uh, I think his performance on the court last year was incredible. If you really look at his per 36 numbers, he's the same player he was before just in 24 minutes a night. And if you give him that opportunity to to play 20 to 24 minutes a night while they bring Scal along, I think that's perfect. You start him out in the beginning of the season with 24 minutes. By the end of the season, he's playing 18 to 20 and, and Scal's playing a lot more. And so I, I hope that that's the plan. Um, but, you know, he, he's got some uh, some issues that he's going to have to deal with um, that hopefully the league doesn't just come down with a giant hammer because it doesn't look good when a player's, you know, arrested on basically as a, as a drug dealer. That's kind of the charges that you have for him. And that's not what you want from any of your players, let alone a 16-year NBA vet. Yeah, I am a, a little bit less impressed by his performance recently than you just because he had a, a only 49% true shooting last year, which is a career low. And granted, he was the only offensive engine that they had on that second unit when he was playing there. So maybe he can be more efficient, but certainly he's uh, taken less uh, or fewer shots around the basket and uh, reliant more on that jump shot. And this, mm-hmm. he was playing center too. So he had a little bit more space to work with on this team. It sounds like you think he's going to be a, a power forward almost exclusively. And that's going to make things a little bit more difficult for him to get inside me. Maybe you could say, hey, he'll be able to bully guys a little bit more, but then he's going to bring his own defensive issues as well at, at power forward. So I guess we'll see how that works out. Uh, but I am uh, I could see him maybe taking a step back this year, but but we'll have to see. I mean, Scal, you know, it could be that that was a flash in the pan and he's not as good as he looked at the end of last year as well. But it's uh, always possible. It'll yep. be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also think that if you look at the, the four bigs that we're talking about, I think Zebo and Costa Kufis, they played together so they have some sort of chemistry they played together in sure. memphis but if you look at the athleticism of willie Cauley stein and the strength of zebo they make a good pair if you look at the athleticism and skill set of scalabissier and the strength and the defensive minded you know stand your ground you know be in the right position of costa kufis they also make a good pairing so i think they have some good pairings here what do you see as the the big strengths of this team? It's obviously going to be a young team, but just as a group, what do you think they'll be good at? Well, I think the first and foremost, they play hard. That's something that, you know, even if they weren't good down the stretch and what you say they won eight games out after the All-Star break, eight and 17 or something like that, um, they played hard each and every game. Very rarely did they get blown out. Uh, even if they did go down 20 something, they were right back in it within the last three, four minutes of the game and just couldn't finish. I thought that they played valiantly, if that makes sense, that they, they really did fight the good fight. Uh, so that tells me that they're listening to Dave Yeager and they're taking the coaching. And then you bring in veterans who either have played with Yeager before or are used to someone like Yeager, if you look at George Hill. Uh, Costa has, and, uh, has played with him in two stops. Um, you know, Gary Temple played with him last year and then Vince Carter and, and Zebo both played with him uh, with, under Yeager in Memphis. So I think you're going to have, that's going to be one of your strengths is that they're they're not going to be an easy out even if they don't have the experience to beat you it's not a lack of talent it's a lack of experience and so there will be nights where they just run people over because the talent clicks uh but overall i think that they're just they're they're going to get killed in quite a few games by just rookie mistakes and second year player mistakes that you know the turnovers that you just can't have the the little nuances to the game that they haven't mastered or learned yet and so as far as 
strengths, I would say uh, their fight, they're going to give you a fight. They're very athletic and fast. Uh, and they do have really some solid veterans that if Dave Yeager decides to finish every game with George Hill and Vince Carter and, you know, Garrett Temple and Costa Kufas and Zach Randolph, I think that that's, you know, maybe it's not a 50 game starting five, but it's a starting five that probably, you know, with some help could win 40 something. And, and then, you know, your, your bench guys, you know, would have to come up with something. So I think there's a possibility that he could do that to get wins. But at the same time, I think this season is going to be not about that. It's going to be about bringing these young players along, looking at the 2018 draft and, and getting another really, really good pick because they don't have a 2019 pick. Um, and, and so I think, again, their strengths are, are, you know, that they play hard and their strengths are that they are really fast and athletic, but you know, those things also get in the way. Yeah. I think I agree with you there. And that transition, which you mentioned before, when Fox is in the game, if they've got Cauley Stein and Scal out there as well, Buddy Heald or Bogdanovich spotting up on the wing from three, Mm -hmm. Justin Jackson will get out and transition as well. So they can put some pretty fast lineups and, and Fox is uh, one of the best that I've seen as a rookie coming in and just pushing the ball down your throat. I'm looking forward to seeing some of that from him. And it is interesting because they do have a lot of different lineups that they can throw out there. I think they can throw out some pretty decent shooting lineups, you know, healed Bogdanovich. Those guys are, are pretty good there. Justin Jackson, in theory, a guy who can hit shots. Carter, George Hill is, is a solid shooter for a point guard as well. Scal um, for Scal a big can, man. can hit the jumper. Sure. Yeah. Uh, although at the, at the four, I don't know if he's going to be spotting up at, at three so much. So there may not be as, as much space in there. But what do you see as uh, the weaknesses here? You mentioned, obviously, the, the potential for young mistakes. And, and I agree with you. I think defensively, it's going to be a struggle when you have those young guys out on the floor. And, and even the vets at the big positions are not amazing uh, on defense. Um, but what, what do you see as some of the other weaknesses for this team? Yeah, I think, you know, you kind of touch on them. Defensively, they're going to be they're going to be suspect. It's going to take a lot to get this team to work defensively because you got young players and old players that, you know, two or three of which don't really like to play defense anymore. Although, you know, you do have some solid defensive players and George Hill is a solid defense player. Uh, Garrett Temple is a very good wing defender and Costa Coop is a solid post defensive defender. Not a great yeah. shot blocker. He's, he's an underrated player overall. I mean, he kind of, he signed that big contract in 2015. They made the trade to clear space to get him. And then, you know, he's kind of been every year by the end of the year, they're kind of tanking. And so they shut him down, but he's still an effective NBA center. Yeah. And he's only 28 years old and he keeps himself in absolutely amazing physical shape. He's a great locker room guy. He's hilarious. He he brings a lot of pluses to the table. So I, I'm going to say that, you know, like the veterans that they do have defensively, they at least three of them are going to go out there and give you, you know, some solid, you know, they'll talk, they'll direct traffic, they'll, they'll do the right things defensively. But I, again, oh, re- yeah, go ahead. I think the biggest weakness for this team, I'm just going to keep harping on it. The Kings, like I, I was looking at real GM, uh, the Kings are 15th. They're tied for 15th uh, as far as their age coming into this season. But that's because you have 40 year old Vince Carter and 36 year old, you know, Zebo and two 31 year olds and a 28 year old. 
Um, but it's the lack of experience. So even if Buddy Hill is 24 and Bogdanovich is 25, between the two of them, they have 82 games of NBA experience. You know, they just have no experience at all. And so that is going to come back to haunt them time and time again. And I don't want to harp on it too much, but it's not just rookies. It's uh, three second year players who barely played it all last season too. And so you're really going to have this sort of dynamic where guys are in the wrong spot all the time and guys are doing the wrong thing all the time there one guy will gamble another guy won't cover his back or you know so the communication and the coaching is going to be crucial uh, but the biggest weakness for this team because I think they're very talented and they're very athletic but it's just lack of experience yeah I mean young players in the NBA with a very few exceptions just are not good as far as actually contributing to winning basketball even if mm-hmm. they are putting up you know points and rebound numbers or, or or assist numbers but I guess another one that I would look at too is just not having anyone who really can guard the other team's three if they yeah. have a if they have a good you know I mean playing against LeBron James or Kevin Durant or and then also they don't really have any kind of like a stretch four option I mean they, if they don't have any threes then they really don't have like a combo forward who can play the four I mean it's, if the Warriors go with Kevin Durant at the four you know is Scal gonna guard him like who, who <laughs> are you gonna put who are you gonna put with you know if LeBron James goes to the four of Carmelo Anthony goes to the four if Houston is going to spread the floor uh, who's going to guard out in the perimeter so I I think when teams go small against them I'm not sure that Scal posting up and shooting a turnaround long two is going to be enough to really deal with the spacing that teams are providing at the other end or even you know if it's a dynamic wing player who can put the ball in his hands and attack the basket so that's another one that I see really quickly this is a bit of a digression we haven't mentioned Harry Giles at all just Mm -hmm. where is he right now i know he didn't play summer league at all you imagine he's not gonna play much for the big team this year but just a, a quick update on his status health wise he's 100 from what i know but 100 is 100 for him not 100 in general so here's the deal I, I i've talked to the king's training staff about this and why they would take a gamble because they had two choices there 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 was uh it was uh og was the other guy that they yeah. could have taken another injury issue um but here's what i got from their training staff uh Number one, there there are three other players that have played with uh, what is a bilateral ACL tears. So you tell tear both ACLs, and those players are Kenyon Martin, Amari Stoudemire, and Danny Manning. Um, two of those guys played for uh, fifteen years, and one of them played for fourteen years in the league. So the Kings instantly believe that he can play long term in the NBA. Uh, the other thing that that is kind of a bonus for what's happened to him is that neither one of his knee injuries were non-contact injuries which you know we've all seen uh, Jabari Parker go down or you see an NFL right. running back who goes to make a cut and it's a non-contact injury both of Harry Giles injuries were full-fledged contact injuries someone hit him from the side and blew out his knee and so hmm. so that to me tells you that he wasn't predisposed to have a knee injury now the other issue that people will talk about is the third knee injury the, the third knee surgery so doing the research on bilateral ACL tear Basically, what happens is you you blow your one knee out. And while you're healing from that, your other leg is the one that's taking all of the abuse, right? It's the one that's that's 
yeah. working with you on crutches and everything else. Now, when he blew out his second, now his surgically repaired knee has to, it was already in the, in this, basically the state of readjusting to a redefined gait. His gait has shifted because of the second knee injury. And so all they had to do was go in and clean up the, the original knee injury because in adjusting it needed, it, it just had loose bodies that had to clean up. Yeah. So they think he's going to be okay. And they, they honestly believe he's going to be a long-term player in the NBA. But the problem that they have with him is he didn't just blow out a knee and, and then, you know, he's fine. He blew out a knee and missed a season. And then he came back for a season, blew out his knee and missed another season. And then he came back and had a, a clean out. And then he played seven minutes or whatever it was for Duke last year. So he lacks basketball experience. While he's incredibly talented and just gifted as far as an athlete, his He's very, very young and immature, both just as a person, because, you know, he's like every other 19 year old. But as an NBA player, he doesn't have the experience because he's missed so much time. I mean, we're talking a 19 year old kid who's missed basically two and a half years of his progression. So, yeah. so really, what is he, a 16 year old kid as far as his progression as an NBA player? So they're going to take their time teaching him the game of basketball and how to play and how to use his body and how to use his mechanics. They're also going to take their time making sure that those legs are as strong as possible uh they've done a ton of testing on his legs and, and they feel confident that he's going to be healthy long term i don't think he'll play at least not in the first half of the season at all uh, i think he'll play sparingly in reno and then they'll build him up slowly 10 minutes a game you know 12 minutes a game 18 minutes a game eventually he'll get to a point where he's actually playing but again it's twofold it's teaching him how to play the game of basketball and it's teaching him how uh to play within confines of his body which you know it needs to be patience is is the ultimate but i think they got a steal there and i think a lot of people believe that and if they do it right which i think they did last year with their young players but if they do it right with him and they take the patient approach a year or two down the road he could be the best player out of this entire draft and this was a great draft but he could be that that player because he's that talented all right, let's uh, let's get you out of here uh, with uh, predicting for uh, the season. Uh, last year, we did these predictions as well, and I predicted thirty-five wins. Uh, you predicted forty, obviously, with Cousins. The moving on from Cousins uh, that ended up not being the case either way. I'll go first here, just because I don't want to be accused of like just undercutting the guest uh, by a couple. I'm going to go with twenty-six wins uh, for this group, uh, although I even then i feel that might be a little bit high just because i think they could be kind of doing the tanking thing down the end or or at least you know playing young guys i I mean i don't think they're not gonna be actively tanking because they just have enough young guys who that they want to play anyway but uh so that's what i think i mean i think the defense hard to imagine that them getting out of the 20s in, in defensive rating and then offensively as well i mean i think to me this projects as a, a bottom 10 group in both offense and defense and so that's why i have in there maybe they could get a little bit better defensively but with all the young guys because they have some talent defensively but with all the young guys i think that that's unlikely so that's how i get to uh the 26 wins yeah i'm with you in 100 percent. i i think last year i i i don't know if i did it on your show but i said 40 wins plus or minus eight and, and if they could avoid the drama i thought that they could get to 48 wins if they could 
couldn't avoid the drama, they were going back down to 32 wins. And where they, they finished with 32 wins. Um, and it was drama the entire season. The Matt Barnes situation, uh, followed by the DeMarcus Cousins. So, well, actually, uh, let me back it up. In, in Matt Barnes' defense, it started with Darren Collison, the Darren Collison situation, which caused some big games, yeah. uh, followed by the Matt Barnes situation, uh, followed by the DeMarcus Cousins trade and, and sort of what happened afterwards. Um, I think that this is a 25, 26, 27 win team. I think you're spot on. I think Dave Yeager is a very good coach and his teams play hard for him and, and they could get up to 30 wins, but you're spot on with the fact that when you really look at how this season's going to play out and how valuable the 2018 draft is to them specifically because they don't have a 2019 pick, I think it really plays to a 24, 25, 26 win season. And so my prediction would be 25. Uh, but I, I again, I think we're, we're right in the same ballpark. I would be surprised if Vegas put them higher than 27 wins. Um, and I would probably take the under on that just because everything tells me that Vince Carter, Zach Randolph, there's no reason to play those guys down the stretch. Um, you know, you could see a trade midseason where they, they, you know, deal George Hill to a team that's competing and, and wants to run with him as their starting point guard. If they have an injury, uh, I think you could see the same with a guy like Costa Kufis where they say, you know, we're going to go Willie Coley Stein and, and just give him the full burn and use Zebo as a backup four and just try to get through it. So yeah, I could see this season being very, very similar to last season uh, and this team, but with with a few less wins because they're not going to start out with a veteran core that can get you, you know, the potential for 40 plus wins. Yeah, I think so. So best case scenario, you're thinking kind of low 30s. I would say that too. 31, 32 would be about uh, if everything really goes well. Another thing actually we didn't hit on, what's George Hill's health situation? Uh, what is their confidence in that? Because he struggled with that chronic injury did not have surgery in Utah missed the the last three games I think it was of that Warrior Cities with the or series with that toe injury is he all good ready to go or is there some concern there no I don't think there's any concern to start but I think if you look at George Hill's career over over the course of his entirety uh you can see that he doesn't always play uh and, and to me that's one reason another reason why I think George Hill was a good signing uh while you don't want a 19 million dollar a year player on the bench um with this team, maybe you do, because I think you're going to want to give uh, De'Aaron Fox, you know, there will be time where he's playing 35, 36 minutes a game because George Hill isn't healthy. So I would expect him to miss, you know, 15 to 20 games because I think that's kind of where he is in his career. Maybe that's a little high, but what did he play last year? 49 games, I think it is. So he missed uh, 33 games with the big toe injury. So I think that that's not a bad thing for the Kings because I think it, there's going to come a point where you do want to play De'Aaron Fox major minutes and De'Aaron Fox has had a couple of ankle injuries and stuff like that. So you never know. And, and so I think this will also open the door for Frank Mason to get some minutes. Uh, he's a guy who I think is going to be a fan favorite and everyone's going to love, um, but he's going to really have a tough time getting minutes. And so I really do believe that um, the George Hill will be fine, but fine in a good way for the Kings, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Yeah, that's and with those chronic conditions, it could be the type of thing where all right, he, he feels good at the start of the year, and then you know as the season begins to drag on, you, and you get some wear and tear, it starts to to pop up again. Uh, all right, uh, last question: worst case scenario for these guys, what do you think it is? Uh, I would say it, it could get it down to like twenty, twenty-one wins or so, uh, especially if if Hill were to go down. Um, I think that could be a big problem. Not that I don't think Fox should play, but just you know, young point guards are so rarely a 
effective in the NBA. Yeah, I would say 22 wins would be my basement, which is weird to have like a such a small tight window here where I think they'll win 25, yeah. 26, but 22. Um, and that's because, again, we talked about it, but I think people play really hard for Dave Yeager. Um, and I also think that he has enough enough talent just to go out there and sneak up and beat some teams. And you go, okay, I, I didn't expect them to beat that team, but they play hard. And and if you don't come in to uh, to Golden 1 ready to play, they're going to beat you. And, and, you know, they they won a lot of home games last year, and I think that they'll con- they'll continue that, um, you know, to be a near 500 team at home. Um, but I think this team on the road is going to, they're going to have a lot of long nights. I think the one other thing to add to George Hill, the NBA schedule, the additional 10, 10 days added to the schedule, I think will help George Hill. No four yeah. games in five nights for the Kings. You know, last year they had a an eight game road trip in 12 nights. Um, and this year they have a six game road road trip over 12 nights. They don't have, that's their worst road trip. They don't have that crazy, holy cow, you're going to lose seven games of that. If you're, if you know, most likely you're going to lose that many. Uh, they don't have that on the schedule. So I think that will help George Hill and help the, the Kings overall, especially as you're trying to teach this team to go throughout the season. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much again for coming on. Where can the people follow your work? Uh, you can find me at uh, NBC Sports California.com. Uh, you know, I, I get to do pregame and postgame for the for the Kings this year with my my man Doug Christie and Jim Cosimore. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at James underscore Ham NBCS. Uh, and you know, I, I have a Facebook page as well. Uh, it's just I think it's at underscore James Ham Kings. Uh, so you can find me all over the place. Been doing this. This will be my eighth season, Nate. Eight season covering Sacramento Kings. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> when do you think the Kings will be back in the playoffs? If if you had to guess, like when will you cover your first Sacramento Kings playoff game? Man, that's a tough one. I. You know what? I, I think best case scenario is not this season, not next season. Maybe the year after, if they get really lucky. Um, I'll, I'll point out that the Kings have so much cap space in 2019 that it's ridiculous and they'll have a young core that's ready to take on a veteran to fill some gaps so maybe someone will find Sacramento appealing at that point and really you know although they did get George Hill they did get Zach Randolph they you know they got Vince Carter to come this year um so that sort of narrative is changing a bit um but I'm gonna say 2019 2020 is it would be my target because you got to be patient you got to teach these guys how to play basketball at the NBA level you got to teach them how to be pros you got to work with them every day you got to weed out the bad apples and and focus on the guys that have a real future and uh hopefully they've got the veterans to help them do that the coaching staff to do that i do know they do have um and and so hopefully it will be sooner rather than later um but i don't think any there's no quick fix here at all yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think they need to me, I think they have a lot of intriguing pieces. I don't know that. I mean, maybe Fox falls into this category, but I'm not sure because he may not be just like outstanding enough in any particular area for me to say, all right, this guy has future superstar potential. I'm not sure if that guy is on the roster yet. So maybe that 2018 draft pick, the top of that draft is looking uh, pretty solid after the summer, especially with uh, Marvin Bagley now in the mix there. So yeah, maybe I think they need 
need one more guy and then you know it's going to take him two three years uh, mm-hmm. if they can get there so you know it could be 2020 2021 uh but you know, yeah. at least they got that that nice new arena the food options in that arena are, are excellent and, uh, <laughs> and also, also one of yeah uh, let me throw yeah. this out the De'Aaron Fox thing from what I've heard from people who have watched him all the time inside the gym is they said it, it's probably going to take a year year and a half for it to click but when it clicks they believe he can be a top three at his position in the league that's that's how good wow. they, they say he looks behind the scenes so I'll, I'll throw that in yeah I mean he does you could say he has the athleticism to get there I'm if he can't make threes though I and maybe he'll get there but I, I'm skeptical of that it's hard to see I mean because really if you look at the guys who are the top five if you can't make a three I mean you basically got to be John Wall and even he you know shoots it okay at this mm-hmm. point Westbrook shoots it okay so and he's not although he's an excellent athlete he's not quite the athlete of a Wall or a Westbrook yet um so yeah I mean I think and defensively I think he could definitely be really good too so I think he's going to be a quality player uh and he'll be an exciting player so I think that's something that Kings fans have to look forward to all right thanks again for coming on and we'll be back with more season outlooks on Sunday night thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you all next time the legends are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.